Hi, everyone. Welcome to Office Hours. If you're watching on YouTube, you can find out more about what we do at officehours.global. Our first hour is general discussion, your questions about media and virtual production. Our second hour is usually something we want to spend a little bit more time on. And today we're going to talk about our NAB coverage. We have almost 50 volunteers. So over the next couple of weeks, we're going to figure out what we're all going to do. Um, And uh, this is our last day for a chance to sign up for it. So we're going to talk a little bit about what we're planning. We're going to get your input on what you want to see. And, uh, and we're going to keep on figuring it out. I will give you more updates over the next couple of weeks as we get closer to it. Um, it looks like it's going to be a pretty big party. So anyway, so stay tuned for that. Um, a reminder that you can ask questions early. Um, our recommendation is before 5.30 a.m. Pacific Standard Time when you can. A bunch of us are getting together uh, at between 6 and 6.15 and kind of going through your questions and trying to make sure that we have the best answers. Uh, and so if also if you're a panelist, you can actually just jump in for the 6 to 6.30 discussion and then um, jump out. <laughs> so if you feel like being part of that, it's more of the, it, for those of you who have been around for a long time, it really feels like the first two months <laughs> of office hours as we kind of go through those questions and, and, uh, and work through those. So uh, that's for the panelists uh, and for anyone else who wants to watch. Um, you can you can go ahead and uh, and jump in and be part of those early conversations. But if you ask those questions early, it gives us a lot more time to to think about them. All right, let's go ahead and jump into the questions. Uh, Keely? Yes, our first question comes from Paul Buchan in Columbus, Ohio, and they ask, what programs would you recommend to remote into headless Mac minis? Lately, it seems like every OS update is requiring me to reapprove permissions, which requires me to connect a monitor and keyboard. Go ahead, Guy. You're probably going to want to use Apple as a regular uh, client, but the one that uh, I've been playing with in addition to Parsec, uh, which I kind of gave up on, I, they did come up with a, a newer version since I, I last tried it out, but the, f- the first iteration a couple months ago was uh, a dumpster fire. So here's what I'm using now, which is Jump Desktop. So this is my PC. Uh, you can see I got a couple Mac minis and, a, and another uh, uh, MacBook Pro, so I double-click fires it up. I got Zoom ISO running here. I got Memo Live running here. So if I want to fire up a lower third, I can fire up a lower third and you can see that it just pops up across the top. So it's nice having uh, my Macs uh, in another location. I could take control of them from my PC. And so these can be living in a rack and that does a trick for me. Uh, give it a roll. It's not too expensive. Jump desktop. Go ahead, Alex. I was going to say Parsec and that's what I'm using and it's working well for me. So I do recommend at least giving it a shot. Go ahead, Jeffrey. Yeah, the web server works perfect for me, but uh, I'm also at home. If you're doing something more remote, you'll probably want something different. And I just love it because I have my Intel Mac sitting right here and uh, my Mac, uh, my Mac M1 that's downstairs. And I can just go over here and, uh, and do what I need to do before I even think about going downstairs. And then I can get that all set up and uh, come back. Next, uh, go ahead, Guy. You're going to... Yeah, I was just going to ask yeah, Alexander if he was having any issues with the audio. That was the challenge that I was having with Parsec uh, on the Mac. Is it working fine for you with the, the drivers? Can you, can you bring in and hear your audio? That's actually one thing I have not tested. It's just being purely just look, you know, using it just for accessing something on the computer. But I haven't tested audio, so that's a good point. Gotcha. Next question. Our next question comes from Douglas Carmichael. And he asks, what Mac OS utility can provide graphical interface for detailed OS level firewall configuration? 
I don't know how many of us actually do that with the Mac. Uh, the Mac has a lot of its own protections built into it. Um, and uh, usually for the kind of work that I've done for the last probably 15 years, we've had firewalls that are exter external to the Mac. So the routers that we use have their own firewall systems. And so it's very rare, and I think it's very rare for a Mac user to do very much. Uh, one of the things that some of us use is uh, Little Snitch. Um, little snitch will just look at all it's not it's not a firewall app but what it does do is it'll show you every piece of traffic going in and out of your mac so if you have little snitch on there and you're running it it'll it'll just show that and you can say at any point in time cut that block just block that traffic and it'll it'll close it up so it's a it's kind of an easy uh and it can cause some damage you'll find that you'll turn it on and suddenly apps don't work <laughs> so like like a firewall would but you're closing up those ports um because you don't want to communicate with those anymore so um so you have to be careful with it but a lot of folks like like things like little snitch to go in and kind of find those things and watch that traffic and and control it from there um, next question our next question comes from Graham Cardwell in Belfast, Northern Ireland. When uploading original video to Facebook, is there a way to do so without auto-generated captions? They get in the way of my lower thirds, which are more important than the audio on my sports clips. Go ahead, Bill. Yeah, I'm not sure if there's a way to disable them. I doubt it. And I think that's in part because uh, lower thirds and, and captions, the conflicting areas come from the fact that in the U.S. at least, uh, the Americans with Disabilities Act passed back, I think, in the 70s, required uh, broadcasters to make those closed captions available. So when people turn them on, people who have yep. uh, auditory. I think these are, though, for the Facebook stuff. I mean, it's it's not required for Facebook to do that, though. Is there a way to turn them off? Then no. I did. I have never seen it. And, and you know, we, <laughs> we have to protect off. for that. And I'm, yeah. I've actually had clients where they said it's going to be important to have those captions on there. And I've actually mm -hmm. moved my lower third to a different area. It's no longer a lower third, but it's some kind of uh, uh, text that appears in a different area, so there isn't a conflict. Yeah, I mean, the the so. The big thing is, is that the general behavior for Facebook is, is that what they found is when you're going through a feed and you and you see a video, you're much more likely to click on it. People don't want to hear the, they don't want the audio to automatically turn on, but they kind of want to know what they're looking, what they're getting themselves into before they click on it. And so as a result, the behavior that was the the best for Facebook or for for the for the person posting the video was to have those captions showing up on, across the bottom so that the user could make an intelligent decision without turning the audio on. And so as a result, the entire pipeline's built around that. Um, they want, <clears throat> in general, Facebook wants the user of the app to have the expectation of, of captions. And so the result is, is they don't, they make it very hard for you to turn them off. They make it impossible for you to just turn them off as a, as a cause they want every video to have that, those, those down below so that um, the user has the expectation of of seeing those, um, because it, while it 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 may depress your that individual's view view count, it also makes the if everyone turns it off or a lot of people turn it off, then it creates a a frustrating experience for the user um, for within Facebook, which is what Facebook's trying to avoid. So I don't think that there's any way to turn those things off. Um, uh, you know, the user can always turn them off, but I don't think there's any way for you to do it. We usually refer to a lot of this stuff as debris. Um, so there's the, the 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 debris that is being added by whatever the service is on top, and what we do is we tend to build debris masks across around our videos, and we go, okay, there's going to be these stupid little hearts and things that are popping up on one side. There's going to be this coming off, like, and we watch those animations, and then we build a mat 
that just says, you know, it's the guide that we put over top of our videos. And then we just make sure that everything that we do that's graphical happens outside of the debris as best we can. Um, and that helps to, you know, so a lot of times, as Bill said, the, we might, a lot of our captions moved to the middle of the screen to the one side that they just pop in and out. So typically on the left side of the screen um, about, uh, you'll notice that, that you'll see captions that are popping up in these high points on the screen. And that's largely driven by the debris that's created by the social uh, systems. Next question. Our next question comes from John Foltz in Sealands Grove, Pennsylvania. Can the recording function in Audio Hijack be controlled externally, perhaps with a Stream Deck or a companion? The answer is yes, not probably directly, but um, if you hit Command R on, on Audio Hijack, you will get, uh, it'll start the session. So that, that starts the session. Um, if you hit Command K, it will um, stop and st stop and start. It's, it says in the book in their manual that it's stop record, but it's actually toggle record. So once you start the session, um, if you hit Command K, you can toggle the record on and off. Um, so as a result, you could take those keystrokes and put them into Stream Deck. So that would be probably the, the easiest way to do it. I don't think there's any direct hooks to to Audio Hijack, but using those keystrokes, you should be able to um, define keys within uh, your Stream Deck. Um, next question. Our next question comes from panelist Alexander Knight in Vancouver, BC. What is the difference in size between super 35 millimeter and full frame camera sensors? Go ahead, Courtney. Well, those two designations came from 35 millimeter film, you know, the stuff with the sprocket holes in the side of it. And uh, uh, super 35 was a horizontal format that went, uh, as you can see here, as for film traveling through a film camera for motion picture work, the super 35 uh, took up three perfs, so it was a way to get widescreen recording on 35mm film for motion picture work. Full frame refers to still image where it goes horizontally on the uh, film stock. So you can see there the difference in size between those two sensors. It's uh, probably about uh, a third of the full frame for Super 35 is a good rule of thumb. And if you want to see the difference in sizes, uh, between the different uh, uh, sensor formats and digital cameras, you can see the comparative sizes between the the full frame 35, the Super 35, which is more of a horizontal 235 format, APS-C, the one inch, the two thirds inch, and the one third inch. And so you can see that those one third inch and two third inches, which you see in a lot of uh, three chip cameras uh, or single chip CMOS cameras, are much smaller and give you. Uh, um, much less, a much more depth of field, and you get a, a lesser depth of field the larger the sensor. So that's that's my take on the differences. Good, Tom. Uh, with over twice the surface area, providing a, it provide full frame provides a wider angle of view and a shallower depth of field with any given lens. Yeah, and and the uh, and the APS and Super Cert 35 are not the same size, but very, very close. So when you look at cameras that, that have that there, um, they, uh, those are things to kind of think about as well. Yeah, go ahead, Alex. This may be getting too much in the weeds, but I guess I don't understand the technical reasonings for the, the depth of field differences in the sensors. Why, why is that? Yeah, it, it has to do with the, um, when it's projected, it's basically how, see if I can, this is going to be a very simplified explanation um, of this process. But essentially what you're looking at is there is a cone um, that is kind of pr produced for every pixel there. And the main thing is, is that that cone, you're, there's only one place that's truly in focus. Like there's at, at any given time, things look like they're in focus. 
But that's because this cone is at a certain, it's basically, if the cone is really thin like this, then what we perceive as focus is, you know, maybe up to here and here, you know, you think about the cone going both directions, but it is the cone, there's a range here. This is your depth of field. Um, and that's that range. And that means that the cone is so thin that the change between being in focus and out of focus is less than a pixel. So that's when we think of things as being, and that's not even technically correct because for every pixel on a CMOS sensor, you're, there's actually a group of pixels there. So nothing's really in focus on a CMOS sensor, but it's, but, but we'll just keep it going that way. So what makes that, thin, that this cone thinner, a smaller target <laughs> makes it thinner. Um, so a smaller sensor makes that cone thinner, which increases your depth of field. Um, the, uh, your aperture. So as your aperture gets smaller, it's going to make that cone thinner. Um, and your focal length will make that, that cone, um, thinner and so, or thinner or wider as it, as it, as it works through there. And so what you really want to think about that cone going in and out, you know, as far as where it, where it goes, it's, I'm, I'm, it's a very simplified way of <laughs> talking about this. We could probably do a whole second hour on, on, uh, depth of field, um, but the, but thinking about it in not so much that something's in focus and there's a group of it that's in focus. It's just that that cone is so thin that it's less than a pixel. And so when you make that that target smaller, you know, for for that that those that what the information that's coming into that is much straighter. And as a result, it's going to be um, it's going to be, it's going to stay in focus for a longer period of time. So as you increase that 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 sensor size, um, you're increasing you know you're widening that cone out. Where things will drop out of focus a lot faster um, per perceptually. Go ahead, uh, Courtney. Yeah, it's referred to as circle of confusion, and that's why it's so difficult to explain. It's confusing. It's confusing. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so, and, and again, what I'm talking about, what I just said there is not as not technically correct, but what it does is it explains to you what you're doing with those things. As you close that aperture up, as you as you create a smaller um, target, it's it's the easiest way to think about what you're doing and how and and the con combination of those things. Um, start to, you know, make more sense. Um, next question. Our next question comes from panelist Laura Thompson in Texas. Zoom fatigue we've established in this group, but how can it be avoided when you're a participant that has no control over the quality, what you can do in a 10 hour day and all those classes in order to make it easier on yourself? Good, Bill. Yeah, for me, this comes down to you got to define yourself as a participant. And if you're saying you have absolutely no control and you're just watching it, the only thing I've ever found that's successful is to record it and play it back later and increase the speed so that it won't be so darn boring. If you're lucky enough to have access as a participant where you're active and you can go on, you can show up and follow one of the rules we've articulated here a lot, which is when you're on camera, if you want to kind of pop and be a good participant, be yourself only 20% more which is just to say you cannot come to the show with no energy, no enthusiasm and whatever. And those 10 hour classes are notable for some of the worst examples of people just droning on and on. In fact, in Arizona, they had a process that I thought was going to be great. They let us do a uh, had a driving infraction many, many years ago. They said, you can take your driver training classes online. I said, this is great, man. I'll go in there and I'll watch the things and I'll get through it real fast. They had some mandate that each class had to last a certain amount of time. So you could absorb all the information and pass the test in the first five minutes. But then you had to sit there for 15 more minutes because somebody had mandated you had to be there for 20 minutes to fulfill the legal requirement. Worst thing I ever went through. I find government government rules in that in that area to be just the most insanely frustrating thing. Go ahead, Jeffrey. 
you can reverse for audio you can reverse engineer your audio so if you get somebody that's in a bouncy room or they're causing feedback or anything like that you can uh, take it out of your computer you can put it into something that can process it maybe do a feedback destroyer on it or maybe do some compression or anything like that and then then bring that into your ears that way you're not going to get the audio fatigue for video fatigue this is the one thing i love to do in a lot of shows is this right here my ptz camera can set it up so i can uh, i can give myself a little uh, blur and so you can still see me but yet uh, you're not seeing me uh you know whatever i'm doing here and if i'm not the main speaker this is a great way to stay in the room without staying in the room yeah the um if you're going to something over and over again i will admit that um and i think it's partially because of this show um I just will not put up with bad audio and bad, bad video. I, you know, if, I, if I'm not, not required to watch it, I will not watch it. NPR puts on a phoner and I turn it off. <laughs> like, you know, like I just don't have no interest in um, listening to anything that is of low quality anymore. Um, and if I'm in a show that has that, I have to admit that I'm pretty scathing about it. And I pretty persistent, like, hey, why is the audio so bad? You know, this class would be a lot better if the, if the, if the audio was better, <laughs> you know, like, you know, the, you know, it'd be really good if you, if we, if we had great cameras, <laughs> you know, so that we can actually see the, the person. So I find that shame and ridicule are pretty effective, especially when done in large numbers. Um, and uh, it, it, you'd be surprised, you know, if, if a, I admit that I have a tendency to want to, I get, you know, a group of people together, but if you have five or six students constantly you know, um, needling a instructor for better audio and video, they'll fix it. <laughs> like, you know, like, you know, it just, it doesn't have to be, it doesn't have to be brute force, just little needles. And they know that every class, they're going to be reminded about how bad they look and sound. It will drive them crazy until they just go ahead and buy whatever they need to do to make that go away. So small amounts of pain um, can oftentimes uh, move things forward. Um, and I would highly, highly recommend. I, Worked in areas where people get things better because they have meetings with me all the time. They finally said, well, I got to get a better camera. <laughs> so, so, like, so they were noticing the difference inside of that. But we can be the best solution, the best example of how to move things forward, number one. And number two is, you know, don't let people slide on it. And um, it's, uh, it's our time and our ears and our eyes that we have to deal with. So let them know. Next question. Our next question comes from Paul Terry Wallace in Austin, Texas. With a Logitech MX Keys keyboard and companion mouse, you can switch between three computers. Is there any better mouse keyboard solution to control multiple keyboards? Go ahead, Courtney. Well, I've tried those. Those are uh, Bluetooth switchers uh, that they have that'll switch between, you know, you pair them with the three different computers and then you have a button that you can switch between uh, which computer you're controlling. Another solution was just to get you a hardware KVM switch, which you can use any keyboard into. And here's one that's a, uh, four computers into one set of uh, USB outlets and one monitor outlet. Now, that does switch the output monitor, but you don't necessarily have to use the output monitor if you've got your outputs from your three computers to three separate monitors that are in front of you at the same time. Uh, but you can use uh, something like this, and it has a little button there you can see to uh, switch between your different inputs, and it has an indicator on which which computer you're controlling when you hit that button. Yeah, and I use um, one that's very similar to the one that Courtney just showed there. Um, it's a, It's got uh, front buttons. I, I, I chose front buttons so I could stack stuff on top of it. <laughs> so, so I have uh, front buttons there. And again, like Courtney said, I don't use it to switch my monitors. I just use it to switch my keyboards. Um, and I 
typically want four options of things that I can select. So um, I couldn't use that keyboard. And again, Bluetooth, I want things to be wired on my day-to-day basis. And then I use Bluetooth for convenience Go ahead, when I need it. Go ahead, Jeffrey. And NDI also has a KVM solution. So that's absolutely free. So you can uh, install it on the machine to see how it works for you. And if you don't like it, rip it out. Next question. Paul Buchan is back from Columbus, Ohio, and he asks, any thoughts on the new NDI-capable cameras from JVC? And there's a link in the comments. Go ahead, Guy. Yeah, it, it looks interesting. Uh, it's kind of funny because they, they, they made all this hubbub like it's the world's first JVC NDI camera. But uh, a couple of years ago, three years ago, as a matter of fact, Panasonic came out with the CX350, which is basically the same camera, $2,000, $3,000 cheaper. So the JVC is $59.95, and you can find... Um, you can find the the uh, Panasonic CX350 for about thirty nine ninety five. So, same twenty x zoom. You got HDSDI out, four K, one inch sensor. So that that's the cool thing about these cameras. If you need that form factor for you know rocker zoom, where you've got HDSDI out, uh, it's a cool camera. The NDI on the um, CX350 is NDI HX. It's not full NDI, and so when you're uh, pairing it with something like a uh, uh, a UE 150, they match pretty well. Uh, a lot of people take the SDI signal to get the, the better color. And so that's what I'm curious on this camera. They, um, I dug through the specs to see if they had NDI HX3, which I believe it is. It's not full NDI from what I can tell. Go ahead, Jeffrey. Yeah, I was digging through there too. It is HX uh, 4K 60 frames a second, but there's something about... I think it's something about you can't record and use HDX or uh, NDI at the same time. The other thing, and Guy, you may be able to key in on this because there was some con- conflict on the page. Uh, how does it come out? Because my understanding is you need a USB dongle to do Ethernet or Wi-Fi. Uh, and then they were showing a whole bunch of cheap Amazon USB drives on there. Go ahead, Guy. Yeah, I've seen those uh, with their solutions in the past. So that, that's the interesting thing. Uh, I'd be, if I were them, I'd be talking about the other capabilities that it has, what they call connected cam, which is the ability for it to send SRT. And so one of the the big deals in this one is that it's got H.265 SRT, which is a big deal. So everybody's all like, "Oh, it's got India." I'm like, the, the cooler thing about it is SRT and HEVC, because for like the NAB discussion that we'll be having in a little bit, um, how would we get? out of a busy trade show floor. I mean, this camera would be pretty pretty dang awesome. In fact, uh, I know Craig Yanagi over at JVC, I mean, we should give him a ring and see if we can get a couple of these for the floor. Probably. <laughs> Here's my, my experience of, of JVC is generally heavy on features and low on quality. I mean, that's the problem that I really have with them is that, that usually when you look at the chips and when you look at the output, it's never as good as a lot of other cameras in the same price range. Um, but they have lots of features. They always they're always on the front edge of adding the next feature to their 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 cameras. But when I actually look at the video that comes out, which I think is the most important part of a camera, is the what it what it actually outputs. I don't I'm, I find myself oftentimes frustrated with grain structure um, and overall color quality within the JVCs. Um, and so that's my you know that is the problem that I have with those. Um, it's not so much that whether it has NDI or not, um, I, but but I think that that's going to be the that's always the challenge with with their products. I think that you always go to the JVC booth to see what's new, what's possible with a camera. Like, what can I put into the camera? Because they've added live streaming from the camera. They've added, you know, in the past, they've added all kinds of storage options, all kinds of connection options. And so what they solve in a lot of ways, in my opinion, is 
oh, I just have all the stuff that I want to do with a camera and I want it to be really flexible and do those things. What I feel like they don't do very well is really focus on the basics of making just a great sensor, um, sensor and pipeline within the cameras themselves. Go ahead, Guy. Yeah, there was a conference last week, ACM, which is for cable providers, the, uh, the what do you call them, cable access. And uh, Boink Software was there, JVC was there as well. And uh, I, I happened to just be in a Zoom meeting with, with uh, Oliver and he walked over to the uh, JVC booth and we got to see their, um, their PTZ cameras and they're controlling them remotely. And so this, this box that Boinks was showing off would be a good um, mate where you've got a switch that has power over Ethernet and you can, you can run a couple PTZ cameras. You can have operators on something like this, this new model, but it all goes into a switch. And so your, your Cat5 or Cat6 cable is you know, almost discardable. It's so cheap to, to run. So in, in situations like that, where you want to run one, one operator on a camera, two PTZs, I, I think it's a, a decent solution. So it's worth looking into. If you're going to NAB, they have great reps in the booth to answer all those questions. Absolutely. I will say the booth is great. <laughs> At NAB, it's usually in the central hall right below Panasonic. And I don't know where they're going to put it this year because things have changed around. But uh, I go to the booth every year because, again, if I want to see what you can do with a camera and they, what I will say is JVC thinks out of, outside of the box of all the things that it could possibly add to it. Um, and I just, it's always been the image quality hasn't been something I've been happy with, but all the features, is, it's always really cool to see what they can provide um, for the market that they serve. Next question. Our next question comes from Dan Huber in Erie, Pennsylvania. I have Zoom Room connector licenses to bring Polycom rooms into Zoom. Is there a way to bridge H323 rooms into Teams? There is, but I don't think through the Zoom connection that you have there. So I think that um, you might be able to figure out some way to take it out and then put it back in. You're going to have latency. You're going to have you know double connections to the reflectors, and there's going to be a lot that's going to happen if you're trying to use a Zoom connection to H22. Um, uh, uh, <laughs> uh, 323's uh, rooms, uh, but you can look at things like Polycom's Real Connect. That's going to be a cloud service that's going to allow you to connect the Polycom service directly to Teams. Um, so you want to probably take a look at that. Um, next question. Our next question comes from Alexander Knight in Vancouver, BC. Does providing Apple ProRes record support in third-party devices require a license? Is this why we still don't have ProRes recording in ATEM switchers, or is it perhaps related to processing power? Go ahead, Courtney. Uh, it's related to processing power and bandwidth, because remember those ISO uh, channels all have to be recorded, and with just a mini, mini Pro ISO, you're talking about five video channels, if it was 444 ProRes, that's a lot of bandwidth to push out that USB connector to your external hard drive. And your external hard drive would have to have a write speed fast enough to record that kind of bandwidth. So the ATEM outputs uh, H.264 uh, on its uh, at 70 megabits, I believe, MP4 for its four ISO outputs. And the program output is H.264 at whatever you've got the streaming output set to as far as bitrate goes. So that's the way they chose to do it. And, and at 70 megabits, those ISOs are pretty good. They're pretty high quality. Uh, you're not going to uh, notice the resolution of the blocking or anything like that usually um, on your output. And you can convert them later to uh, uh, ProRes 444 if you want to, and they'll come out pretty clean. And then you can control the individual channel levels. Good, Bill. 
Yeah, it, it's been a point of contention for a long time, because if you're on the board, you'll notice that all the Apple people want access to B-Roll and all the ATEM people want access to ProRes and everybody wants everything else. There's intellectual property issues there, and this discussion is too big for us to ever solve here. But it's still an issue. Uh, we would love it to be working in a world where everybody got completely along with each other's IP and that everything could be on everything. But that's just not the world we live in right now. I don't think I think that the biggest issue is storage space. I, I don't. I think that I don't think that. I mean, Blackmagic uses ProRes in other places. I don't think that there's a real issue with the records there. I think that they wouldn't. They'd be able to use it without any real. But and I don't think it's processing power. It takes less processing power to write ProRes than it does to write H.264. Um, so, so I think that it really is just the fact that they're looking at a specific solution that's going to allow them to um, put as much as possible. I think they've decided that that's good enough for that at the 70 megs a second, um, which is considerably less than ProRes at a reasonable rate. For instance, ProRes proxy is just a throwaway format. So, you, so while you look at that as a lower rate, the quality on ProRes proxy is so bad. It really is designed as proxy <laughs> like like you cannot use it and so if you want higher quality at a um at a lower rate you really have to start at lt and go up from there go ahead uh, alex yeah i was just gonna say do you have any opinions about ProRes lt and whether that would that actually be worth it in the atem line yeah yeah i mean it'd be great to see ProRes, and it used to be that you'd see ProRes lt and, L and 422 a lot of us then comp complained that we weren't getting higher versions the hq and 444 and so on and so forth and so so those things kind of backed away um you know from that but but the um lt is a great format for run-of-the-mill a lot of run-of-the-mill records we've used it for a lot of corporate stuff um, next question our next question is from craig mcfarlane in boston massachusetts i'm traveling to germany in the uk next week do you have recommendations for mobile bandwidth options i.e for personal streaming um, I would say if you're going to both Germany and UK and you want to use one modem, you're probably looking at Vodafone, um, you know, or you can you can make it um, a higher, ver you can try to buy into the higher version of T-Mobile. So T-Mobile will work almost everywhere. It just doesn't work very well. <laughs> you know, so, and that's because you have to buy, you have to buy, it'll, like your general T-Mobile will just get you all over the world. You can check your texts, you can send some basic emails, everything's really slow. You can't stream from it. Now, my, my experience has been mostly that uh, when we're in the UK, we've mostly used um, the, the little MiFi's that are made by three. Um, three was the one that had the best coverage, the widest coverage and fastest coverage. We, I used to have an apartment in London. And so, um, you know, uh, for the company. And so, the, uh, so that's what we used for, for that. The, um, uh, but when we go to Germany, obviously that's not a German coverage. And Vodafone will be in both, city, in both countries. And so Vodafone's probably the one-off for both of those. Um, and T-Mobile obviously comes out of, out of, uh, is sourced out of Vodafone, out of Germany. So you're, you, you, you probably will get good coverage there. So just, those are the, some of the options that you have when you go into Europe. Next question. Our next question is from Andre Dole from Berlin, Germany. What is the panelist's experience with Livestream Studio 6? I have a spare license and just found out about NDI and the layering possibilities in GFXs. How about comparison to OBS on a Mac M1 Max? Good guy. Yeah, unfortunately, the team hasn't been updating that uh, software as rapidly as, as we would like. So whereas you have like a vMix, it's gotten super popular and they've got, you know, the monthly recurring revenue coming in. After the purchase by, by Vimeo, I think it's kind of subsided quite a bit. I, if you have the license already, you can see here, I've got it running on a, on a PC. As far as the the cool thing about it is those graphics are already pre-built. So if you, if you wanted 
you know, a, a lower third, it, it, there's a nice templates here that you can just add them in. And then uh, when you want to pull them in, you could say, was that graphic three? Push that in. So then you can just pull them up and pull them back out. But there is some some neat compositing in here too, where you can build uh, different GFX. Uh, you can go into these editors and you can, you know, move stuff around wherever you want it. So it's a pretty powerful app and it does have, uh, so you're seeing me on NDI right now, so you can suck in NDI and it does do 4K. Uh, I, I've used it just as, a, as an encoder, pure encoder. So it does have the ability to do Ultra HD. The other thing that's pretty interesting is that you can, uh, you can turn it into an RTMP server. So you can actually bring in RTMP feeds. The one thing I was finding that was missing is the ability to bring in SRT, which I solved with uh, SRT mini server. So SRT mini server converts the inputs to to NDI. So I can go SRT into SRT mini server, then into Livestream Studio through NDI. And so that's how I've used it. And it, it, for for what it is, it's still pretty pretty powerful. And you do have these NDI outputs that you could add in. So you could say, I want to add in program or you know uh, just... Uh, Where's my NDI feed? NDI one, and so I can I can bring stuff in and kick it back out too. So even just as a, as a way of building multi views and things like that, it's pretty neat that it that it can do that. So it's still it's still cool software for what it is. It's um, it, the, the the code is not efficient. That's why they're not updating it. <laughs> like, you know, so they're gonna you know if you're I wouldn't commit um. I wouldn't commit a long-term experience with it. I mean, using it here and there makes sense. The quitting without saving and warning or without warning <laughs> for me was was the killer um, that we we kept on pushing to do things and then it suddenly just disappear, you know, and we come back on and we try to get it to run again. So, um, you know, OBS has a, on a Mac has so many variable issues that, that we don't really consider it a viable option. Um, the only two that we really pay a lot of attention to for software-based Mac editing is Memo Live and uh, Ecamm. Um, uh, so, and we've seen, again, a couple idiosyncrasies with Ecamm that have probably led me to not, not jump on it real quick. Um, just some resolution and processing issues, uh, that we've seen, um, in a couple from in our own stuff of, as I've tested it, uh, where it gets into some states that we're not, not, not what we want. <laughs> so, so the, uh, uh, and so the only one that I've been using, uh, on the Mac is Memo Live, um, because of, because of those, those various things with, you know, it's, None of them are perfect, and they're all kind of there. But I, I would say, in the scrum of the of what you have for software based editing on the Mac, I'm still leaning towards Memo Live, and it took them, it took poor Oliver like a decade to get me to come around. So uh, go ahead, guy. Yeah, it's funny you mentioned that Oliver was just up at at our store. Uh, was it yesterday? No, the day before. And uh, I've learned some cool things about Memo Live. But back to the live stream studio stuff, you do have to be very aware of what your CPU load is, and there is yeah. a little <laughs> indicator in the top right. You want to be Sorry. very careful about not uploading this to or overriding it uh, to ninety nine, because that's <laughs> like Alex said, that's where it just will will quit. And so if you're building graphics plus you're streaming, because there is when you go when you go to output, um, where is I'm in the graphics. And, and, and I don't stream. think it's taking much advantage of the M1 architecture. I mean, it's just not getting updated. And the problem is, is the code is so uh, inefficient that I think it'd be very hard for them to take full advantage of the platform. Yeah, go, go ahead, Guy. Yeah, when, so when you're connected, um, you can say, uh, add in, I don't, I'm not logged in, but normally when I'm streaming out, it'll say right here, the 4K, uh, 720, 1080. So you're, you're, 
it's kind of inefficient because it'll push five streams out. And so you really got to watch if you're using it as an encoder, you really got to watch what you're doing as far as how many feeds you're pushing out. Because you, you'll be watching that CPU and all of a sudden you're like, oh, it's at 80%. Like I'm on the, in the danger zone. So be, be super careful with it. And I would recommend never doing multi-level streaming of resolutions on the same computer that you're doing your video on <laughs> like you know, generally if you're going to do all the all the steps in the ladder you need a dedicated computer for that that isn't doing anything other than than that process next question our next question comes from douglas carmichael and he asks let's say you wanted to stream an sdi program output into a zoom webinar would a bmd or black magic design web presenter be the device that you would use i go ahead courtney it certainly could be the device that you would use. It'll do that for you. There's cheaper ways to get around it. You could use the Blackmagic Design SDI to HDMI converter, which looks like that. And then you could go online at Amazon and get you one of these uh, HDMI video capture cards, which converts the HDMI to USB and put it in appears as a uh, as a USB webcam on any computer you plug it into. And then you'd go into Zoom with that. So those two things plugged together would give you the same thing as the web presenter out does. The web presenter is a little more versatile in that it can stream directly uh, without having to go into Zoom. So... Uh, you might look at that if you're looking to stream directly, but if you're going to go into Zoom, the second choice with the two two adapters will certainly do the job. Yeah, and it's 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 a really stable way to do it. And I believe the well, I think that the larger web web presenter will do 4K in and then do the scale down and put it out and everything else. It's been really happy with those with, with those devices. Uh, next question. Our next question comes from Philip Oler in Katona, New York. NDI or Video Siphon, which protocol is better for recording Zoom ISO? And the uh, illustrious uh, answer is it depends. <laughs> depends on what you're doing. Are you recording uh, locally or are you recording remotely? So if any time that you are recording or you're trying to send something from one part of the computer to the same part to another part of the same computer, you want to use Siphon. It has it has a lower overhead as far as the CPU usage, and it's going to be a lower latency. There's a whole bunch of advantages to using Siphon when you're going inside the computer. When you're if you're going to send this to another computer to do it to do a record, then you have to use NDI. So those are the that's the decision you want to make: is am I doing something to the computer that the home computer that I'm working at, or am I sending it to another computer? So if it's at home, it's a Siphon, and if it's a, a remote computer, it's NDI. Next question. Our next question is from Ronnie Hufsey in Tromsø, Norway. Recently got a few bird dog cameras that seem to be continuously restarting. What could be the reason? Good guy. Yeah, I would check to see if you're powering them over PoE, if you're getting enough power, because that can be an issue. I've, I've had that happen with those cameras where there wasn't enough power. And so they would just, uh, they wouldn't know what to do, especially when you went to move them they, and it drew more power. It, that could be one. Um, I Depending on the firmware you're up, on, you might want to back down one because sometimes there's uh, they frequently put out beta. Uh, so you, you want to be careful about uh, what firmware that you're using in a, on a production camera. Yeah, the uh, I would highly recommend always, you know, you always want to provide more power than the camera needs. <laughs> so so if it asks for PoE, think about PoE plus. If it asks for PoE plus, think about something that, that might support PoE plus plus um, and make sure that you have just plenty of headroom there um, for those cameras to to work. I think that, that, that the guy's very accurate about what was probably happening there. Uh, next question. Our next question comes from panelist Alexander Knight in Vancouver, BC. Are there any compromises with variable ND filters versus separate fixed filters? I've heard there are, but no reasoning was given to back that technical claim. Go, go ahead, Tom. 
Well, with regular ND filters, you're just dealing with attenuating the light. On a variable ND, you're generally working with rotating polarizers. You're stacking these polarizers so you have a vignetting possible problem. Uh, you also have to be very, very aware of where your rear polarizer is sitting because you're also attenuating and taking out those reflections, which you may or may not want in your picture. Go ahead, Courtney. Yeah, Tom covered it pretty pretty carefully. Yeah, it's usually two rotating polarizing filters to adjust the uh, ND. And uh, remember, polarizing filters, almost all LCD monitors employ polarizing filters. Uh, so a lot of times if you're using something like that uh, and you're shooting a TV or a monitor, it may just show up black depending upon the angle of that back uh, polarizer setting. So... Uh, if you're going to be shooting that, and as as Tom mentioned, uh, reflections are attenuated, which makes skin look a little more saturated and 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 different, kind of creepy looking. Not necessarily better. <laughs> Not necessarily better. Yes. Go ahead, Go ahead Bill. Uh, there is one thing that fixed filters can do that I have never found a a filter. Uh, that affixes to the lens be able to do. And that is, you'll see in cinematography, they're using matte boxes, and these allow you to drop in a filter. One of the great uses for that system, let's say you're shooting a scenic in a forest and there's a lake and there's a bright sky, to get a graduated filter that darkens the top part of the frame and doesn't affect the bottom part of the frame at all is a great way to control a split exposure like that. And those kind of graduated uh, rotating filters like the polarizers uh, just don't let you do that. You have to establish one exposure for the entire scene. It has to be consistent. And then as you drop it down, your aperture opens up, your depth of field gets shallow. So they're just different tools. And you can actually um, uh, get graduated filters that are attached to the lens. The big the big thing that that you get with a matte box is really speed. So when you work, if you work with someone who has a matte box, who's shooting with a matte box, their ability to swap those filters out in a production. And you have to remember that when you're in production, especially a larger production, and you're paying everybody, it's not like a bunch of friends getting together. Time matters, <laughs> you know? and so um, you're, you know, and, and a lot of times, you know, people can tell you a good producer can often tell you how much it's cost them per per minute for us for them to sit there because they've got they've got this data kind of running through and they're looking at it going. You know, if it takes me 15 minutes to do that across the entire staff, if we delayed it by 15, 15 minutes, people standing around might cost thousands of dollars more than the camera, you know, to to be sitting there waiting for it. And so um, when it comes down to speed, you start to see those things. So you just um, and when I see some, like someone like my brother or Brent by or other people, you know, swapping through mat, mat, mats on a mat box, I realize that I'm still playing in a little place where I put things on the lens. <laughs> so, so it's, you know, it's like, I, I'm still, little, my, my version is still a little hobby. Um, and so, uh, so that's the thing to think about there. But if you're not doing that, I mean, you can put a lot of these things onto the lens itself. A quick reminder that you can always ask questions throughout the hour. Um, one thing to remember is that we may push the questions back um, throughout the hour um, at the end of the first hour for the next day. The good news is you can just put them right back in early in the morning or late tonight. And you can actually, um, you can actually have uh, they'll, they'll start up in the morning. We're reviewing them now. The most the most popular ones, anyway. We're, we're reviewing between six and six thirty each morning uh, as a as a panel. So um, get those questions in, but you can ask questions now, and we probably have a little room for a couple more uh, by the end of the hour. Let's go ahead to the next question. Our next question comes from Andy Korkendorfer in Vieira, Florida, who asks, "Why do anamorphic aspects seem more appealing, and which anamorphic aspect is the most common?" I don't know if 
I mean, <laughs> I think, uh, go ahead, Bill, I'll let you jump in. Well, that anamorphic process, which is basically using a particular kind of a lens to squeeze the picture, usually horizontally, into a smaller frame, knowing that in the post-process, you're going to expand that out so that everybody who in that squeezed picture looked too thin and too narrow becomes natural looking. It, it There's a lot of advantages to that, and a lot of films are shot anamorphically with anamorphic lens and de-squeezed in post, but it adds a big part of the production process. So um, it, it's pretty highly technical as to why cinematographers just choose to go in that direction. It has to do with the hardware costs and the, the amount of budget they have in post-production. Um, I, I think that standard squeeze of taking a 16 by 9 phrase, putting it into a smaller sensor size, maximizing the number of pictures on the sensor, and then post squeezing it back out to get pixels that actually, well, to get kind of pixels filled that weren't there before, is a longstanding tradition. I don't think anybody's going to stop doing it, but it's just something you have to understand. Good, Courtney. Also, if you've got bokeh, your bokeh looks different uh, between the two. Uh, so if you've got out of focus, like little fairy lights or something in the background, they'll rather than being round circles, they'll be little oblong things. So that's the difference in anamorphic. The bokeh looks different between the two. That's one reason people sh like it versus something else. And it and it does conserve more. You know, it it gives you. Uh, I guess it conserves your film stock if you're shooting on film, or your data if you're shooting on data. You know, digital. Kind of, <laughs> like kind of. I mean, I, I just, it's, it's, uh, it was, uh, we, we were constrained by the resolution or, the, or what we were doing, and it, you know, it, it really is a pretty limiting thing. I wouldn't, given how many people now watch things on TV, um, sixteen by nine is a is becoming more and more something. Uh, the older filmmakers or folks that went to film school are using anamorphic, you know, because it's kind of the, I don't know, the slacker approach. <laughs> I don't know if it's slacker, but kind of the, the cool kids approach of, of doing something. But uh, I think that more and more we're seeing productions done at 16 by nine. And the reason is, is because 90% of what people are watching now is on their TV. And what you're doing is creating a letterbox on their TV, which a lot of people don't appreciate. <laughs> so, so, so the, you know, especially if they're, you know, it's, it's one thing when you're pushing it out to a film, it's another thing when you're pushing it to someone's monitor that has it because now the new limit is not the film screen, it's the home screen. And as a result, um, unless you're working on a very large film that you know is going to have a large theatrical release, um, anamorphic is probably not a great idea, in my opinion. Go ahead, Courtney. Yeah, it depends on the on the sensor in your camera. If you've got a full-frame sensor, which we spoke of earlier, uh, you're utilizing more of those sensor points on the on the sensor if you mm -hmm. use anamorphic. Otherwise, you're cropping it to get to 16 by 9 uh, or any other horizontal, even if you have no letterbox, you know, 16 by 9 for 1080p or it's 4K transmission. So you're using more of the sensors on the actual sensor. Uh, yeah, I, I think it's it's a dying art. Like I just just be clear, I don't think that you know YouTubers don't don't really do very much of it unless they went to film school or they aspire to be in filmmaking or anything else. It's part of the kind of the the mythos of of Hollywood, but but it's it you know in ten years we'll barely ever see it. Uh, next question. Our next question comes from Paul Terry Wallace in Austin, Texas. I heard some guy talking about Jump Desktop, which may be yet another remote desktop like Remote PC or Team Viewer. What are the pros and cons of Jump Desktop versus these others? And there is a link. Good guy. Yeah, it was written from the ground up. So is Apple Remote Desktop's older? And it was written, gosh, we've been using that for like 20 years. So it's, it's 
it's old and uh, 60 frames per second. It, it, so there is a setting to, to go 30, but you can also go 60. So it, it's fast. Like when, when I snap, so this is it. When I snap, like you can see that's NDI monitor. It, so that that's running through a PC. So this is a uh, jump desktop connected machine and I'm able to move it around. And I mean, it, it's, it, the other thing is that it's got an iPad connection. So I can do the same with my iPad. It, it is another cost. Um, the other thing is that sound works. So whereas try Apple remote desktop and try getting audio through. And then there is uh, accurate color and check out the tearing on, a, on an Apple remote desktop. It, it's not full frame. It's not full rate. And with the retina uh, checkbox, you can also get full. Uh, it's, I don't know if it's pixel for pixel, but it, it, it's tack sharp when I check that button. So uh, those are some of the, the reasons why I use it. Next question. Our next question comes from Douglas Carmichael. I did some more testing with a 14-inch MacBook Pro, and it was surprisingly functional when I rethought my workflow, like using F3 to meet, reach mission control versus swiping up. Have any panelists have had positive experiences in the field with smaller MVPs? I guess I, I, I don't know how many people have the 14-inch uh, or the smaller the smaller one uh, or how many people have positive uh, 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 experiences with it. I know I don't. Uh, go ahead, Guy. Uh, I like it just because it was. It's been with me. Uh, so the thing is, the 16, which I have, I don't carry it with me all the time because it's just it's so big. So I typically will just my daily carries in an iPad Pro, the 12.9. Yeah. But I also have the the smaller MacBook, and uh, it's an older one. But I carry it with me just because it, it, it. Sometimes I need a full blown computer, and I have the older one, so I it's Intel, so I can actually flip it into becoming a PC. So it's nice to have that option to be able to you know, multi-purpose of a full-blown machine have it with you. So my Mac or my iPad acts as a hotspot and then I'm able to connect the MacBook Pro to that. So having having it with you is a, a big deal uh, versus 16. I know a lot of people that just don't carry around their big computer anymore. They, they want to carry around their iPad or something small. Yeah, I, I find that the 14 has made me want to carry around my iPad more. <laughs> Go ahead, Jeffrey. Yeah, and this is why netbooks never really uh, survived. Uh, but uh, it, it, I don't know. Smaller hands are perfect. So if you have uh, kids that need something like that, or you need a secondary computer that's that's running around, having a 14-inch rather than a big one, a uh, big MacBook in your bag is always a great thing because I can always connect up to it. We talked about uh, earlier about how to connect up uh, different ways, and then uh, and then you can uh, can run it, and you don't even need to, uh, you, things like Duet for your iPad, then you have a touch screen on the MacBook, and uh, there's different ways to really approach that. So uh, I would definitely have that as a secondary computer if I'm doing a lot of traveling. Yeah, I mean, I will say the one advantage of the 14-inch that I do have, um, but I just don't use very often, um, is that I can open it in economy. <laughs> so, so I can actually open it up in economy uh, on a flight or whatever, and it's not too much of a problem. Uh, so that is, that's, that's an advantage. Um, but I, I, again, I think it's partially because I'm used to a full-size keyboard. And so I keep on miskeying everything all the time. And then I, you know, my eyesight isn't what it used to be. So it just, I end up with a very low resolution and I just, I just feel like I'm just in a box, like I'm just in a, in a little box like this all the time when I'm using it. So it's, it, it's a, to Guy's point, it's a full-blown computer. I can open Photoshop in it. That's the number one thing I need is I need to be able to open Photoshop or I need to be able to do something a little faster in Keynote um, on, a, on a Mac. Than a, so I, I use it for that, but it, it has basically persuaded me not to, not to carry around a laptop as much as I used to. I used to, I mean, and 
I lived on a laptop for 10 years or 20 years. For 20 years, all I had was a laptop. It was my primary thing. It was a 15-inch laptop. And when I moved, when I shifted down, um, it just stopped being fun. Um, next question. Our next question comes back from Paul Terry Wallace in Austin, Texas. If you have a quad monitor in one location using two Mac HDMI inputs and two Windows HDMI inputs, can you remote into it with another quad monitor in another location and have the controls all be the same and have the same experience? Good, Courtney. Easily, I'll tell you. <laughs> Most of those quad monitors uh, just have HDMI inputs and, and they don't really have a composite quad output on them, they just appear on the monitor itself. So to remotely get that output of that quad split, you'd have to go into a multi-view and then into a conventional monitor and then send that multi-view somehow over your over IP. Or I don't know how far away your other uh, uh, desktop that you want to control this or see this from is going to be. Is it going to be in the same building on the same local area network or is it going to be out of the internet somewhere? So that's it's a fairly complex thing to do to control those four computers remotely unless you want to use a, a KVM like we mentioned before that has an IP interface on it so that you can uh, send the KVM signals over the internet or over IP uh, V6 or, or V4 in your local area network. Next question. Our next question comes from panelist Alexander Knight in Vancouver, BC. I have a new camera and lens. I put a black and white three-stop ND filter on it so I could open the aperture up fully at f1.4 without overexposing. With respect to skin color quality, what do you think? Go on, Alex. Okay, so I replaced my Panasonic uh, point-and-shoe. I'm staying in the Panasonic family. So I've got a Lumix G7 with a 7 Artisans 35mm f1.4. I found if I open it up fully without any kind of ND filter, it was just because I have such good studio lighting, it was just way overexposed. So I put the ND filter on there, and this is what I got. Sorry, I think it looks good. I think it looks good. Um, you know, I think that... Oftentimes the challenge with, uh, let me just take, I'm just trying to really get you up full screen here. Yeah, I think it looks nice. The challenge is always that everything is a little softer when you're all, while it looks sharper, it looks, it's a little softer when you're all the way opened on almost any lens, you know, except for really, really expensive lenses. You'll notice that a little bit that is, you're just a touch softer than you were before, um, even on the subject. Now it looks more like you're in more in focus because of the, um, of that connection, but that's the thing to, uh, pay attention to but i think it looks i think yeah overall i think it looks great and it does allow you to open it all the way up but i would usually recommend not opening quite up to as far as the lens will go is is give it you know you'll find that you'll you get overall sharpness is a little bit a little bit better um elsewhere all right and uh and i think that was our oh go ahead bill sorry I was just going to note, in, in a shot like yours where there is some sort of textural content, now I understand that's just an on and recording or something like that, using that incredibly shallow depth of field and getting that much blur in the background and bokeh, for a minute when I see that scene, I get distracted because I'm trying to say, well, now what does that sign say? I can see something, there's, hmm, there's something. And I'm out of the show just while I'm trying to read something. So I tend never to go to that extreme uh blurred background if there's anything in there that the audience will struggle to read that's just one of my individual rules yeah and and uh, go ahead courtney yeah and I, you said three stops and i'm not sure that's three stops you've got in there but but it looks good uh remember an nd3 is one stop nd6 is two stops nd9 
is three stops. So if you've got an ND9 filter in there, it is three stops. So uh, a lot of people are confused about that. <laughs> um, and I am, I think we're at the end or we're getting ready to switch over. Quick, um, just as a note, uh, there is a, um, uh, some of us are tracking an event that's coming up. And since we have a, a moment to talk about it, um, this is uh, this event here. This is the Generative AI Meetup uh, that's happening during GDC. Um, and this is going to be with um, uh, the general, it's going to be at Fort Mason. And, um, and so there's a couple people putting that together. Uh, and uh, one of the things to note is that we're probably going to um, cover it. <laughs> so we're going to, uh, you know, as, as office cool. hours, if you are in the Bay Area and you want to be part of it, we're just, uh, I couldn't get in. So the, my response to not getting in is, hey, have you ever thought about streaming it? <laughs> so I can get in. So that I can get in and, and, and so that we can get in. And, and, and I felt like, you know, there wasn't any plan to stream it. And I felt like, I want to see it. I bet you there's a bunch of people in office hours that wants to see it. I bet you there's a bunch of people in the world that want to see it. And so um, I'm going to be starting to put together a team to, to do the streaming. We've talked, I've talked to the folks at scenario.gg to, you know, they're the ones that are kind of helping uh, move forward, which by the way, is a really interesting version of, uh, of the um, generative AI. And so uh, if you're, there's going to be a bunch of cool things that they're planning. They've got a lot of, it's, I think it's going to be, it, it could be one of those, meetings every once in a while i'm pretty good at like sniffing something that looks like oh this is going to be cool <laughs> like this is going to be this is going to be something that's that's interesting uh, i think there might be a lot of interesting people there i think there's gonna be a lot of interesting discussions and so anyway we're putting together um, and we're kind of working that out so just letting you know that we're probably gonna they're probably gonna do an announcement but we're just talking about it a little bit if people if you're interested again uh just contact me on discord we'll probably put up a sign up sooner than later uh, if we have some of the tools which we'll talk about for nab available, we're going to use some of those tools there as another test. Um, so it helps us kind of do some early testing of, of some of the stuff that we're working on. Um, yeah, so it's, it, and there's not much of a connection with the group other than the fact that I wanted to go, I couldn't go. And then I figured that a lot of us would want to go too. <laughs> so we're trying to figure out how we make it available to, to more people. Uh, Alex, can you put those dates back up again? I wanted to check. It's the 21st. Account. It's 4 p.m. on the 21st of, of uh, March. Okay. So it's coming right up. It's just in a couple of weeks. Uh, ping me on Discord if you're interested in being part of the local team that's going to kind of put that together. It's, it's going to be uh, scrappy. <laughs> There'll be four or five of us putting scrappy. it together. I love that. You know, we're not we're not charging anything for it. So it's just, there's no budget. We're just kind of figuring it out. Like, let's just figure out how we can do it. This is my this goes back to my old days of covering events that I wanted to cover uh, just because I wanted to. And so. Um, uh, so a bunch of us will probably show up there on the day and put it together, but we are working on making sure we have good wired internet and stuff like that. So I suspect we'll do Scrappy really well. We <laughs> might be used to that. <laughs> I think ours version of Scrappy might be better than most people's version of Scrappy, but but it isn't going to be a big trucker or big thing. It's going to be like a, a you know a little extreme and a couple cameras and possibly a live view and that type of thing. So so stay tuned and and uh, we'll we'll have more information over the next couple uh, days and weeks. Uh, next question. Our next question is from Roscoe Jones in Madison, Indiana. Thank you for the help yesterday. My options are the analog Y into a composite input or an SDI to HDMI with loop through into the HDMI input. Is there a reason you would choose one over the other? Camera resolution is 720p. Go ahead, Courtney. Yeah, for uh, 720p, I'd, I'd probably use the SDI input because, remember, uh, uh, analog video is 480, so uh, you're not going to get full resolution uh, going into a composite video in a Y. So I would use the for the 720p, go, go to SDI to HDMI and split. There you go. 
All right, we are uh, changing subjects to our second hour. And uh, we're talking about NAB and how we're going to cover it. Um, we are getting closer. Um, and again, this is, uh, there's a, in the email that goes out, and I'll send out one more alert. Uh, you know, we've been we've been accumulating a lot of folks. Um, and we're meeting on Mondays. So if you're part of that group that's there, we're meeting on Mondays at, I think, 11 o'clock in the morning or something like that to talk about it. And we really needed to figure out exactly how many people are coming. We've been pulling together some technical stuff. I don't have all the details yet, but it does look like we'll have um, some at least one live view that we'll be able to use and potentially more. And we're still working out what that live view is, whether it's a 600 or 800, but we are kind of working that out. So we have that there. Um, we are, we now have, uh, I'm, we're going to, we're going to be reaching out to everybody who signed up to find out, are they really coming and are they really available? Um, but there is uh, right now, you know, starting to approach 50 people that are going to, that are ready to be involved in some way, shape or form. So, um, so I think that, and that sign up again is going out on the emails, um, and we're going to start putting that together. Um, so, so that's what we're kind of working on right now. And if, if panelists have anything they want to comment on, just go ahead and throw it into the, you know, raise your hand in this question. Um, the, um, and, and if you have questions, again, about NAB or suggestions, it doesn't have to just be questions, but suggestions of things you want to see. I mean, this is us telling you where, where we're going, as well as um, listening to all of you of what you want to see. Um, so one of the things that we're, we're, we are looking at is, you know, kind of a wider scale of, um, of, of what we're doing. So to cover as much of the event, I mean, um, I think that uh, we're going to try to bounce around a lot. Um, now, depending on how many wireless transports we have, um, it will, it'll you know, it'll drive a little bit about how we cover things. But we are looking at possibly some coverage on Sunday, um, and this will be probably less formal um, of, of Sunday. And then we are looking at windows of two or three, as much as six hours, but probably two or three hours of coverage on Monday, Tuesday, and Wednesday. So these will be, um, you know, we'll come on and typically we're going to come on. The, the big thing with NAB is it's so big. <laughs> so uh, so what we're looking at is on Monday, we'll come out of one one hall and Tuesday, we'll come out of another hall and Wednesday, we'll come out of another hall. And if we have two, then we'll start bouncing back and forth between halls um, to, to kind of cover things live. Um, that are there. The um, uh, one of the things that I am looking at doing is experimenting heavily with uh, shorts, so YouTube shorts. Um, so uh, you'll probably see some stuff that's that's not you know heavily produced, uh, but very high volume of things that that um, some of us find interesting to it. Um, I'm not going to. Uh, depending on how many people are available in different days for post-production, we may send some of those to post for adding things like captions and text and um, some other, you know, details or, or other things to them. But probably half of them or more will just be capture on the phone as a single take, head and tail it, put it up, you know, so that we can cover as many, as many things um, as we can. I think that uh, we are definitely going to go for, I mean, we're definitely going to try to maintain a high quality of, of footage but also very much lean into volume, you know, because there's just so much to see, um, you know, at NAB. And we want to make sure that you're getting kind of, you're dabbling through all of those things. Um, I think that we're going to have enough room for two teams um, if we have the the transports to do that. So if we've got the live views to do it, I think we can have two teams roaming um, on on site. I think we're going to have 10 or 15 folks that are, that are available on site. Um, and uh, so we should have, be able to do two teams there. Sunday, as I said, will probably be informal. If we do something, it'll be mostly to kick the tires and make sure everything's working and we'll wander around a little bit. It won't be something as as focused um, as those other days. 
Um, we are looking for panelists that want to sit during that time and team members that want to run the back end <laughs> between on that time. And if you're interested in being part of the that show, you know, what we would recommend is we are going to use the standard architecture of office hours for it. So we're not doing anything, any special pipeline other than the big thing that we're trying to figure out is we want to be able to cover it in 5.1 and HDR. So we're working through a bunch of challenges over the next month of how do we deliver to YouTube a HDR feed um, and and 5.1 um, and still be able to kind of cut back and forth between that feed and and what we're doing. And I, I've got some ideas on how to do that. It's Some of them are prettier than others. <laughs> so, so we're going to be working on that uh, over the next month to, to try to establish what that, what that might look like. I mean, it could mean a down, a, a downstream switcher that is, um, that is doing the final output um, for, for YouTube so that we can basically switch between our, our panel and that, and the panel would, you know, so those are routes that we're going to be talking about a lot over the next couple of weeks to figure that out. But, um, but anyway, so that's the, you know, that's what we're, um, you know, that's what we're kind of working on here. The, uh, we are going to have plenty of room for it. There's the, what we're going to look at is for any VOD stuff, they will go to YouTube. They will not go into the live show. The live show is going to be a description is going to be live. <laughs> so it's going to be a very live, live show. Uh, so there'll be almost no playback. Um, there may be B-roll and stills. So we are going to look for teams to do B-roll and stills. That, are, that, the, that the panelists can talk over. What we want to do is really maximize when we're live, the panelists have some video that they can show or talk to and, and, and you know, we'll have previews for them. Um, they'll have stills of things that are coming up and they can talk about the things that were, were released. Um, but we're going to probably, and then we'll cut to live feeds. Um, some of my, my, you know, there'll be a lot of different people, well, a couple of people hosting. Um, we're, we're kind of figuring that out right now. Uh, I'll host some of the some of the time. Uh, admittedly, my time frames are a little bit constrained because I'm speaking more at NAB than I expected. <laughs> so, so I, uh, uh, so we're, um, so I've got a couple a couple conflicts there that we're going to figure out. But I, you know, I'll be covering some of those things as well, um, and that may also mean that we have more some some informal live view hits that come out that are more. Like they may come out in the afternoon and what we may be doing is just punching into uh, using, you know, we want to do some panel stuff, but we have to find out what what the availability is of the panel. There may be some coverage that is pure live view to YouTube inside of Mokana and a much lighter team um, to manage it. And that has to a lot to do with who's available at different times of the day and what we actually use. So if we've got, we want to have uh, some period of time that is available to the panelists if they want to be part of that larger connection. And the amount of time will depend on how many panelists are available when. But there may be other times that we're streaming. And those times where that we're streaming will be a more direct, just YouTube, straight to YouTube. And then we have all we need at that point are volunteers to read the questions or deliver those questions back to the host, um, whether that's me or somebody else. And there'll be less infrastructure you know, to do that. So we want to kind of experiment with that as well. Um, that's how we've done it every other year. <laughs> so, so, so I'm not very afraid. I'm, I'm less afraid of that than I am of, of, you know, you know, trying to integrate it with the, with the panel. We really want that because I think it adds a lot of value to it, but, but I'm mostly used to direct feed and taking questions. And so, um, so we'll, uh, probably some in different time frames we'll do that. We also want to make sure that 
it's available later in the afternoon. So there may be some like late afternoon shots so, so that folks in Asia and Australia and so on and so forth can see a live feed and be part of that as well. So, and there's so much to cover that we could cover, you know, eventually our goal is to cover it, start broadcasting at 8 a.m., stop at 8 p.m. and just be covering foot, you know, covering stuff all the time. Uh, we're not gonna do that this year, um, but we are going to be pretty aggressive at covering as much as we can. Um, throughout the day to just experiment. Again, we're continuing to experiment and this is going to be a new version of what we're doing there. Um, let's go ahead and do the first question. Our first question is from Brian Shand in Sydney, Australia. What advice would panelists on previous OH productions give to the planning of future shows? Good, Bill. I think it's the same discussion we have here a lot. I mean, really, office hours more than anything else is about building community. So if you're interested in building a show for the future, for what we kind of do, I think the first thing to do is identify the community you're interested in addressing. The second part of that is then how can you use this system to serve that community? Uh, it's understanding what they want. I, I think it's a bit of a problem if you're coming and saying, I just want to make some money and I want to do a show and put it out on the on the air. Um, you know, we're here as a service organization as much as anything. And I think that's what it draws people to keep coming back to office hours. Uh, you know, most of us, we're not really here to make our living doing this. We're here to take expertise that we've spent a lot of time developing over the course of our careers and turn it around and give some of it back. So as long as you have that orientation and can identify an audience and you want to build an audience, mm -hmm. that's been my orientation from day one here. And I think it holds pretty firm. You go, Jeffrey. So, and, and it really depends on if you're talking on the floor, if you're talking uh, in the back panel, but uh, just got to remember, you got to roll with the flow. Because uh, you know things happen, and uh, and like for instance, you might not we might not be able to get a signal across. Uh, we might get choppy signal or or anything like that because it's all going to be wireless. Uh, we might have uh, we might have something roll through a shot as we're uh, as we're doing an interview. Uh, just all these little things that it's 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 so unpredictable that you you just have to be ready to accept it and catch a couple catch a couple falling cameras if you need to. Yeah, um, I think that I do think that if we're able to get the the live views set up, um, my experience has been that the coverage and it may change. This may go right back to what Jeffrey's talking about. You don't know what you don't know until it happens. Uh, generally, our coverage has been um, pretty good, except for the very center of the center central hall. So I've used live views quite a few times, and so right where the Panasonic booth used to be, I don't know if it's still going to be there or not, but that area where there's a eatery like down below, and then there's up there's so much concrete and rebar there that we find that the that the, it's like a black hole. Um, and right there, but outside of that, um, we find that almost every other part of the of it we've been able to cover pretty effectively with live views, um, specifically, and so that's why we're kind of leaning towards those to to make that happen. Um, and so I think that that's what we're you know kind of leaning into. Um, the uh, I, I think that again, this is most this is going to feel a little different than the ones in the past in the sense that. It's going to be a little bit more of what we would call slow content, which we're going to allow it to kind of evolve, you know, and for people to kind of bring it, you know, take it all in. Um, but we are going to look for opportunities for where we can um, extend what we're doing to, uh, you know, a variety of things. Like the, there's a couple of crazy things we may try to do, which is multicam, you know, multicam into the live view, but at 4K, which may not sound possible, but it is. Um, it's it's mostly a uh, being able to switch on the fly locally. Um, and there's some ways that we can do that that we've used in the past with Teradex and so on and so forth that 
um, we may experiment with, but um, that might be like the last day. <laughs> like, we're going to fiddle with this and see how this goes. Um, so you, again, you may see, see us do something more formal during the, you know, for an hour or two or three um, in the mornings. And then, and again, it doesn't open until 10. So we're probably not going to go um, live until 10, 10 in the morning. Um, so there'll be a break between office hours and when this this coverage actually happens. Um, and again, we're going to organize who's available for it. If not enough people are available to run the back end of office hours for those days, then those will be direct feeds. You know, and that means that we just need somebody to read, you know, move the questions around um, and uh, and we'll stream straight out of those cameras. Um, so and that's a doable solution for us. In some ways, an easier solution on a lot of levels. But it will be a better show with more panelists. So we want to incorporate the panelists into the time that they're available. Um, I think that we are going to make sure that the panelists have other news and other things they could talk about. <laughs> if, if we break up, the idea is that someone goes, well, let's take a look at some of the other announcements and then we'll, you know, move that into that process. So, so those are th- some of the things we're going to kind of work on there. And again, this is kind of a, a, step, a step in one direction there. And so we'll see, we'll see what, how it works. Um, next question. Our next question comes from Andy Kokendorfer in Vieira, Florida. How will Signal be acquired for NEV? How do you ensure consistent connectivity in such an environment? It's hard to ensure it. Um, you know, we're not, we're not, we don't have the budget right now to get a hard line um, there. We have done it in the past where we've had as much as the switch there, where we have an internet connection and video and everything else right out of it for other projects that we've worked on. Um, and so that's been something we've used in the past. Um, you know, we're, we are going to, one of the things we want to do is try to do contribution from lots of different sources. So using possibly Zoom as a source, Stream Voodoo as a source, live views are going to be the backbone of what we're doing most likely. We'll know that next week. Um, and uh, so, but we don't have a lot of, of hard lines there um, to make that work. So those are the, those are the kind of things that we're um, you know, going to kind of work around. Again, we look at this as iterations. Uh, you know, we're going to, we want to be, we want to improve on what we learned at NAB last year and, and all of the things that we did last year um, and then um, continue to see what we like and don't like. And then IBC will be the next. We'll have lots of ones in between or we potentially have lots of one, uh, things to cover in between. But IBC is the next big one and then and then NAB again. So we're you know kind of tick-tocking through that process. Go ahead, uh, Courtney. Sorry. Um, if you said earlier you were planning on trying to stream in 5.1 and uh, HDR, uh, how are you going to handle the mixing in stereo in the field for the 5.1? Are you going yeah, to do so that? We're, we're working on that. So I'm, gonna, really? I'm doing some testing. So the um, uh, we believe that the Scorpio will affect – I'm going to be doing some testing this weekend with this. Um, we believe that the Scorpio will allow us to, to um, basically – unwrap the ambio and ambio mic and if not we'll have another mic system that's there but in the scorpio we can actually build a pretty complex mix um where we basically take the 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 theory at the moment is to take the the interview mic and run that right down the center channel um and then use the other mics as a soft ambient a solid 20 db below um at least 20 db below the 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 interview mic we don't want to make it a distraction but we think that we're going to be the the goal um, in this process of five one is not so much that you're going to hear music going or back and forth or whatever. What we found is that if you create, if you stimulate the brain from different directions using those different speakers, what happens is that it creates an, a, a space when you hear something back here, your brain becomes conscious to it and it starts to become conscious to all the areas around it. 
And what happens when that when it starts to expand that, it actually makes the person sitting in the center channel more present. They feel like they're more there. It's almost like creating a, a audio 3D. Um, because you're doing that, because not everything's coming is a mush from the stereo speakers. So we're going to experiment with it. It may work. We may retreat to say, hey, we can't do this. <laughs> it's not working. Uh, and that's totally acceptable. Um, and so, but we are going to, as soon as we have, um, you know, I'm going to be doing some captures um, this, I'm going to be doing some captures this uh, this weekend. Um, and, uh, you know, I'm just going out. So I'm taking stuff with me, like <laughs> wander around and you know, just to capture some stuff so we can kind of play with that idea. Um, but we're going to start playing with the idea of using that to create the atmosphere like you're at the event. And then, and then we will, but we'll, it'll, we can mix it back down, but we can do that all inside of a Scorpio. You know, like it's not, it's something that's doable. Well, you might also, during your testing, look at uh, how it sounds when it's all f flattened down to mono. For, so if people are listening on phones or anything yep. that doesn't support uh, surround sound or stereo, if it yeah, flattens down, if it's still intelligible or if it muddies mm -hmm. the sound too much. Yeah, 100%. The um, YouTube, uh, when we're, we're streaming to YouTube for this, and it for, it does a fold down. So we'll be testing all of those things. Like, you're 100% you're right. We have to figure that out. The other option for us, by the way, is to not try to do anything in the field and just to send, you know, our our mic mix, you know, send the five channels of of from the surround out, send the mic mix um, back as a separate channel and do all the mixing back at the office as well. So there's a couple different ways for us to handle that. We get 16 channels of audio from the live from the live views that we're looking at, you know, and so. Um, if we get those, if we don't get those, then we're not going to try this. <laughs> so, so we'll see. Go ahead, Jeffrey. So uh, getting back to that questions, uh, last year we had 52, there were 52,000 people that attended NAB. And for what we did with the Mr. Net system, uh, we had a pretty successful thing, even though we were, we were going through Zoom rather than going doing what we're going to be doing with the live views this year. Uh, and of course, the uh, 1080 versus, uh, versus 4K. Usually what happens in these events is a company like AT&T will come in and they'll throw a whole bunch of repeaters uh, throughout the whole hall. It helps a little bit, but not as much as you think, especially if, we, if it's a 20% boost like they're expecting uh, from last year. So that would be uh, about uh, 70,000 people or more. Then uh, you might have a lot of competition, especially if everybody's trying to do the exact mm -hmm. same thing that we're doing. Okay, Bill. Yeah, it's hard to say. I'm actually kind of hopeful about uh, Wi-Fi coverage and things like that, only because they built the uh, the West Hall last year, and I would imagine that the budgets for that were so big, and that a good chunk of it was put into that infrastructure. I'm hoping that whether by laying fiber optic or something, they've extended some of the new infrastructure from West Hall back into Central and uh, the other halls so that maybe there's better Wi-Fi coverage than there has been traditionally. In the old days when NAB was 160,000 people, Wi-Fi coverage was an absolute total disaster. But yeah. maybe it's better now. We're going to keep my fingers crossed. Well, and, and our goal is to do, you know, again, the feedback that we got was very good from folks that were uh, looking at NAB last year. And we want to keep on improving that, that trajectory. Um, I think that if we if we have a good if we have a good year um, in that process, I think that we're going to you know what the goal down the road is that we wired have wired connections to all the halls um, that those are coming back to us um, you know to a central place where we have a, a studio um, and that we're using you know 
more just standard wireless, you know, like, you know, that's, that, that's there, you know, so, uh, you know, wireless, you know, cameras and so on and so forth to make that work. Um, so, uh, you know, our goal is to ramp that, ramp that up a little bit. And this year will help us kind of make that case for next year um, to do that. But I think that the connectivity will, I think it will, I feel like it'll be okay. Um, we will definitely see some breakup here and there. Um, again, that's why on Sunday, we're probably going to supply a lot, of, try to gather a lot of B-roll and a lot of images that the panel can use if for any reason we need to find a better space with one, sorry, one or more uh, of the live views. Um, next question. Our next question is from Paul Buchan in Columbus, Ohio. Is there anything that people attending the show but unable to assist during production can do to help? Upload pictures, submit must-see tips from the floor, contribute to an evening beverage fund? Okay. <laughs> that <laughs> last ahead. one. Let's talk yeah, about that. Yeah, let's talk about that last one. That one's really important. Uh, go ahead, Jeffrey. Well, here's my PayPal address. I'm, I'm kidding. Uh, so... We I, and I can't speak for office hours, of course, because 503c, uh, however donations work on that. But it wouldn't be a bad idea if we if there was a thing like a uh, uh, Uber fund or or anything like that that people can contribute to. Other than that, if uh, hopefully we're going to get some uh, uh, graphics and things ready to send out, uh, just basically help promote to your channels. Uh, that we're doing this so we can get more people coming in to see what all the hubbub is about. Yeah, the biggest thing that you can do if you're going to be at the at the site is to take pictures and point us towards things that you think are cool. So um, so we will definitely, prob probably will be pretty basic, like a channel inside of Discord for people who are there who can't be part of the production to like try to point us towards it and take the, the thing that we would, that would be really good. And we'll work on seeing if there's some way that we can do that. Um, if you're interested in being, you know, kind of a field researcher, definitely go up and sign up for uh, being a volunteer for NAB. Um, that's enough. And so if you do that, we can organize those of you who are doing that and potentially give you, for instance, a, you know, a link that you can upload, a Frame.io link or, or something else that you can actually put stuff up on, on onto our server so that we can very quickly go through those things. Um, and that's something that's quite possible on our end. So, so take a look at that. Um, and, uh, and see what you can, what you can make, make happen there. Um, yeah. So, cause I think it would be great to get video from folks as well as, uh, stills. And when you do video, a lot of times what we want is going to be 16 by nine and fairly still, like just look at stuff and then move with your waist. <laughs> you know, so, so things that aren't going like this as you're looking at things, um, because we don't know how we'll use it, but having B-roll of it. Um, doing description. So we'll, we'll think about ways that you can report on things that you are, that you find interesting so that we can take a look at it. Go ahead, Courtney. Yeah. Like I said, most of what I was going to say, yeah, it's, uh, it's, you know, it's a big show and even with, you know, 50 people, I don't know how well they're going to be spread out. If they're going to be able to cover all the nooks and crannies and some of the, sometimes you find some really interesting things in those little 10 by 10 booths, they're tucked away in the sands or in some other, uh, you know, some other hall somewhere. So if you find in those things a good central point, like Alex was mentioning, for those people that are there and in the field to upload things to, and maybe on the last day of the show or something, or the if we're doing coverage for more than one day, is to just collect all those little things that maybe may not have warranted a full live interview uh, during the show, but, but then can just be additional stuff we found at NAB, a little show that well, just collects all those together into one spot. Absolutely. And I think that this is where 
the panel could be really interesting as far as, you know, throwing those things up like, hey, this is what Paul found over here. And this is what, you know, so if we can find a way that people can kind of put it up there and also let us know it's there, um, then they can, we can start to have a, um, people can be throwing things out as to like Paul, th- I thought this was great. And it can be a connection of those things. We can even set up, you know, this is where folks in the post can help, where if we have a bunch of images, we can even just have montages that we play for a couple minutes during the, during the live show. Um, that's the one thing that might be really good. It's just a couple little things that are there and it could still be potentially something that happens underneath folks talking, you know, like, oh, this is really cool. Oh, that's, that's, that's like, I, I want to try to keep it as live as we can um, in that process, but that could be a fun thing to, to look at, but we can do, the only place we might do is some of those montages could be a lot of fun, um, especially at the end of an hour or at the end of something that we want to take a break for a moment and let everybody reset. that'd be great. Next question. Brian Shand is back from Sydney, Australia. How will comms be handled between the field team, backend, and panelists? Right now, we're we're still planning to use Unity for for those for those things. We are in discussion with ClearCom about putting in a you know using an Eclipse server to 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 upgrade not only NAB but what we do in the future. So um, so we're kind of in that we're kind of researching that right now. But but at the moment, it would be Unity um, to to you know connect everybody up um, um, for that process. So. Um, that's still going to stay the stay the same as far as as how we get back and forth with folks. Um, I do want to try to figure out there is a return channel, which I'm told sometimes works and sometimes doesn't. But um, I've had a lot of success with the return channel to the live views, and so if we do get those in and we have the servers in our office, um, we will. You know, there's as long as what 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 we found is that the live ser- the live view returns don't work very well if you unless you use the analog. Well, what used to be the analog inputs. That's what I have to figure out. Analog inputs worked great for the older servers, and I, I'm told that the newer servers may or may not have those, and so we'll figure out. But we'll be doing some testing, assuming we get those servers early, um, to figure out what we can, you know, how hard we can push that. Um, next question. Our next question comes from Roscoe Jones in Madison, Indiana. How do you plan to get permission to bring gear onto the trade floor? We snuck into Cinegear, and George had contacts at NAM, which is the National Association of Music Merchants show. But NAB may be a bigger ask. Go ahead, Jeffrey. In years past, yeah, you definitely needed to have a press badge to do anything on floor for recording. Now, I always come as press. So I I do have that uh, that caveat there. So uh, we, I think we should be covered on that. But there's been a, a lot of rules have been relaxed since, especially since COVID, so they can get the uh, information out there. And I have not seen any uh, regulations or rules saying that you can or cannot do this as of yet. Yeah, go ahead, Bill. Yeah, I agree 100% with that. I, I went on a press pass for about 15 years to NAB, and I've noticed that the last couple of times I was there, they they understood that more people were coming in with more things. In the old days, the press team would all congregate in the press room, and there's a press room at NAB that has by, bigger connectivity and stuff like that. It's usually pretty crowded. The only real advantage of it is they serve you a free lunch there, so that's very important. Uh, that's why you'd see all your friends from years past at that one point of contact at NAB. But past that, I think it's going to be, since everybody has phones and a lot of people are going to be trying to do this, a little more diffuse and a little easier. They want to rebuild NAB to those glory days when it was 160,000 people, if they possibly can, because it drove a lot of eyeballs to the product and that's what they're there for good courtney they may have changed it since i was an exhibitor in nab because it's been a number of years but it used to be you would have to secure if you're bringing broadcast equipment on and off the floor and you're not 
there on a press badge, uh, used to have have to obtain equipment passes uh, from an AB so that you bring it on, and when you bring it off, uh, you have to show them their equipment press that that particular piece of equipment was brought onto the floor. That's to prevent people from, you know, at show closing time to picking up stuff out of the booths and walking out with it. So uh, <laughs> they have to ensure that there's not a lot of theft, and there is a lot of theft at NAB of equipment that's on display. Uh, so uh, they used to control that pretty tightly. Whether they still do or not, I, I couldn't tell you. The biggest reason to get the press pass, in my opinion, is the press room, you know, is so, so that you can get into the press room and, and uh, get coffee <laughs> and, and have a quiet place to sit. I mean, a lot of times at NAB, it's just hard to find somewhere to sit down and work on something. And so, um, you know, the, the press pass has been useful. I've covered NAB probably 20 times um, over the last, uh, and I've been to NAB almost 30 times. And uh, I've used a press pass for my gear once. Like so, so I, you know, I don't, I'm not that worried about it. Um, a lot of times I just walk in and start shooting. Very rarely do we see a lot of control over that, but we are going to go through the process of getting at least who, whoever, once we know how many kits we're going through, we'll go through the process of making sure that they're registered and that, that NAB knows it's coming. Um, next question. Our next question comes from Dave Troutman in Edmonton, Alberta. At IBC last year, giving earpieces to the booth worked pretty good. Is that planned for this event coverage? Good, Bill. I don't know what the plans are, but communication is everything in these kind of circumstances. And and having been fortunate enough to be able to uh, host or co-host some of the things that we have done, that ability to coordinate things in the background is often what elevates a show from being okay to truly professional. Communication really is the core of an effort that has to coordinate lots of people like this. Good, Courtney. Yeah, I think this had to do with the ability of the panelists to ask the person being interviewed some question, direct questions so that they could hear those questions directly on a, on a crowded show floor. And that, that was really helpful. Uh, so if we could get that going again, that would be really great. So we could get some interactivity between the panelists sitting at home and the uh, show floor uh, hosts. Yeah, so um, we're probably going to experiment with a couple things. What I really want to work as a speaker you know, that people can just, so that they don't have to do anything, a speaker that's, that's kind of mounted under that we've done this. I've done this in the past <laughs> where we mount speakers underneath the, um, the camera. And so, you know, so that it just comes right out as you're talking to them there. There are some, you know, obviously we're going to look at some echo cancellation issues that could occur there. Um, the other, the other way to, to, um, make that work is to use IFBs. And what we, what I've done in the past, and we have to go through a lot of them is that we get, we get a standard IFB kit and then we have a standard IFB transmitter. And then what we do is we, the earpieces are just disposables. Like we just use them once. <laughs> so, so just just the ear part, you know, so you can get hundreds, a hundred of them at a time. Sometimes we try to clean them, but oftentimes when we're going through so many, we'll get 200 of those earpieces. Um, we'll swap the earpiece out um, on every every person and just let them stick it into their ear. And then they'll have an IFB that they can they can be part of there. Um, so it depends on how we're doing the interviews, but I think that that may be the way we kind of approach that. Go ahead, Jeffrey. That, that, uh, I like the idea of giving the, uh, giving the guest a gift, but uh, what about that? Well, it's not a gift. Board? It's just, it's so, just a little earpiece. It's, it's like the totally rubber piece that goes it's into your ear. Gift. It's still a gift. Sure. The sticker's it's, a gift. So. Is, what it, about, is, it, uh, is it a gift? What about bone conduction? We could get a, some cheap bone conduction headsets. Those are easily cleanable. Um, it's just easier to just, it, the hard part in a loud environment is I don't find that the bone conduction works as well. And so it's, it, there'll, there'll be a lot of, 
you have to turn it up so much that it tickles. <laughs> like, you know, when you when you do the bone conduction uh, in a loud environment, it'd be a little harder. The nice thing about the earpieces is they block out everything out of one ear and, and then you can hear it. And it's just easier to, I think, a lot easier for us to put them on. It doesn't, I think it will look nicer <laughs> to be totally clear. So so I think that we'll probably do do those real quickly. Again, as we have a team, we're going to look at when we can interview folks. A lot of our coverage is not going to be interviews because they slow down the production. Um, and so a lot of it will be people who are there, whether it's whoever the experts are that we have defined here, depending on who's going and who wants to say stuff. Um, people there giving, you know, showing you something and giving you their opinion about why that's important. When we can get somebody that is worth talking to, we're going to try to bring them in, but it'll have to do with the thing that I think is, the thing that I found over the last 20 years of doing these events is trying to negotiate the right people to talk at the time that I need them, you know, basically slows my production down to a crawl. Um, and so we usually come in saying, hey, we've got, you know, X number of people, we have 200 people watching and we'd like to come in and, and interview someone. Do you have someone available and who that is and are they technical? And it comes in really, really, we just spool them up. And if they don't, we just move on to the next booth. <laughs> like, you know, it's just, it's like this wash that just comes by, by. There's so many fish in the sea. We don't have to focus on any specific ones. Um, there'll be a handful of ones that we're excited about that will take more time to, to organize. And that's the advantage, again, of if we can get two transmission systems that we can that we can go back and forth from, which is what we're working on pretty hard, even if only one of them's HDR and the other one's regular, whatever that looks like. The advantage of all of that is that we... Um, can um, have one that's spending more time on things and one that's moving faster. And so we can kind of do a little mix of both of those kinds of content. Um, next question. Our next question comes from Kenny Hampton in Greenville, Illinois. By using shorts at NEB, are these vertical or horizontal? Preference. For consistency, this info might help. Go ahead, Jeffrey. There is... There is a, well, you can definitely say use horizontal or our vertical. Of course, if you do do a horizontal video, you got to turn it into a vertical video. I did a lot of shorts at CES this year. For me, shorts were always running gun stuff. So like, for instance, I was at the PTZ optics booth. And every, if you watch that short that I did, that was one minute of me talking. And I did the hat short. I think three times, because one time somebody got in the way, the other time I messed up on what I was going to say, but that third time it was just a charm and it was perfect. Then I was able to put in all the uh, post-processing stuff and get it up and, and running. There are some shorts where I did two or three different shots, brought it in. Uh, the one I did where, where Paul Abdul was, was showing off the new uh, glasses, that was actually taken from two different phones. Uh, it's one vertical, one horizontal, and I did a lot of a uh, lot of uh, repositioning of the frame for that. It does, uh, yeah, with a horizontal, it does do a little bit more work to try and get it into the frame, but it also gives you a little bit more to work with. So there's a little give and take in, in doing both. I think we're going to experiment with both. We're going to deliver them all as vertical. <laughs> so, so they're all going to be, you know, shorts are ver a vertical format. Um, but we are going to, um, but I think that we are going to potentially do some, again, a lot of this has to do with how many people volunteer offsite and that are available for a lot of these things versus onsite. We have, we know that we have 10 or 15 people that are going to be onsite. And so we'll figure out what we do with those, you know, with folks there. But if we have a lot of people on offsite, we may, you know, send some videos out for them to do additional posts. So for instance, if I just take my iPhone and capture 4K 16 by 9, I can send that up, I can upload that, um, you know, and someone can on Lucid Link or on anything else, pull that down, 
you know, crop it and then do a pan and scan, you know, for that to get all the information that we want. And we may experiment with some of that, like how effective was that? Um, again, I'm going to lean more towards uh, volume. So, so the, I'm going to shoot a lot of stuff vertical with my phone, um, talking over it and we'll post it. And basically what I'll do is we'll, we'll post it up there for someone to add more, more stuff to it if possible. And, uh, but it will have a delivery date. <laughs> like, you know, it needs to go out. So w w I'll be pushing stuff up. It needs to go out at a certain time, regardless of whether there's any post done or not. You know, so like, it's just, it's going to, I'm going to send it up head and tail, push it up. Um, in some cases, uh, if I don't think it's important enough, I'm just going to send it straight to the, straight to the channel. But, um, but we're going to post stuff that is, you know, it, I'd love to have, and if we have enough people that are interested in grabbing onto those things and coordinating amongst themselves and putting those up and adding, I would love to add text. I would love to add, um, you know, especially like little prices and what it is and a lower third and a thing and a thing like those are great. Um, but what we don't want to do is have the infrastructure of our post-production slow down the output. So it's going to have to go out at a certain pace um, no matter what. And then um, if we can, it's a great opportunity for people to really do that. There's nothing like, I mean, if you're at all interested in this, there's nothing like having to do this, you know, with 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 media coming in to get good at what you do. <laughs> like, you know, like it's just, you know, having large volumes of, of data coming in and you just have to grab onto it and and put it up um, and and quickly figure out how to put the graphics on, quickly figure out how to do those things and put and and, and be part of that pipe production pipeline. Um, it's really powerful. And, and I think that, you know, that's, you know, it's a great training opportunity, even for, if you decide you can only do it on Sunday afternoon or Sunday evening or, or on a Monday evening, those types of things. But we want to just put out an enormous amount of content so people really get the whole feel of the space. Uh, go ahead, Jeffrey. One thing to remember is that uh, they say a minute on YouTube, but technically it's 59.59, anything over a minute, and then it just becomes a regular video, which is not... Not uh, it's, it's something we could actually do if, if something has more information to it. It could still be a vertical video and go a minute five. It'll just show up as a regular video. Plus having something, uh, it, it, this is where the 2.4 gigahertz uh, Wi-Fi type uh, dongles that hook up into the phone so you have a microphone on you work the best because it's so close to the camera when you're doing that type of stuff. You have good audio, because if you try to use the phone camera, sometimes it works, and especially if you've got it pointed away, it doesn't work as well. So those are the things that you have to consider when you when you do the shorts. And like I said, uh, horizontal and vertical, vertical, it's really how much editing you really wanna do. And I'm gonna be testing, and I will be going to a couple other, I'm gonna test at GDC for an afternoon. Um, some of the ideas that I have there because GDC is near my house. <laughs> so so we'll do some streaming from there. And I may stream or jump in or record some shorts that are there. Um, and I'll be testing the best solution that I can imagine, you know, for it. So a headset mic with a, uh, you know, with an, an XLR, you know, into the camera or into the iPhone, you know, like how do I make it as as high quality an audio as I can make it? Um, to to cover this stuff, and so I'm I'm kind of working through that kind of coverage, and so we'll be doing a couple tests between now and then to try to figure that out, and we'll continue to error correct, um, you know, over that week. But I totally agree with Jeffrey. Um, but I'm going to take the very the heaviest possible, like <laughs> the best of everything I can I can imagine, to try to get the highest quality audio um, audio and video out to just see what it would take to do that. 
Um, I don't think we'll be able to do a whole bunch of kits that way, but I'm going to try to do at least one kit that way so that we can figure it out. And then we'll, that, whatever we find works between what Jeffrey's doing, between what I'm doing, what other people are doing, will most likely become standard issue regular, relatively soon after that. Um, next question. This is also from Roscoe Jones in Madison, Indiana. Do we allow the host to change the pre-planned route kind of like Guy did at Sinegear, or do we stay on a pre-planned course? Does the audience enjoy serendipity? Go ahead, Jeffrey. There's always going to be that level of you have to make the change to do that. I love the fact that I can bounce between one another. When we did NAB last year, there was that segment that I did. We were at the booth, uh, Canon's booth, just learned about the uh, N500 camera. I think it was the PTZ camera. And then I walked over and I watched one of the uh, performers because they have these cool stages where people perform. They got the big cameras. These are cameras that I don't normally get to touch. And I'm just sitting there going like that. And I went, I went back and I said, hey, Bram, just uh, just hit the record, uh, let, let's get it in there, and then I'll talk about how this is part of the NAM, or, uh, NAB experience and, uh, and go from there. So I like it a little bit looser. However, the day before when we do the uh, uh, relative walkthrough of the show, at least we'll have some sort of plan. But I try to keep it as loose as possible because you just never know what's going to happen. Go ahead, Bill. Seems to me we've got three buckets we're trying to attempt here. There, you know, the regular office hours show will be on on all of these days. And as Alex noted, the regular NAB show floor doesn't open until 10 a.m. So we'll need stuff and things to talk about with the panel in the morning. That's the regular show. Then there is the NAB coverage, which is the teams out here doing something special on office hours to, to cover NAB itself as an entity. And then we're talking about these shorts, which are kind of more long tail content that will come out of the show that focus on individual vendors and things like that. So all three of those things have to happen. In the middle one, the the we're at the show bringing the show to you. I think everybody adores that serendipity of we're going past, we didn't understand this thing is here, this thing is really cool, we can bring it to you live in real time. And everybody has kind of lit up in all the ones I've been involved with when you find that special thing. Guy takes a, a turn to the left and he runs across something that everybody is interested in. And that really makes you feel like you are there, which is the magic of live broadcasting. Yeah. So, and to put it in perspective, how we're covering it, I mean, NAB is probably the biggest event of the year for us, IBC being a close second. Um, and so we're going to push really hard on this. Um, and so one of the things that we, I am looking at, it just depends on the volunteering, who's available for panel and who's available to cover. In the mornings, we're going to be covering things. So Monday is going to be the business of, of the broadcast. So we're going to try to talk about where the business is and see if we can bring a couple guests in to talk about that, but what's happening in broadcast. Uh, Tuesday, we'll be talking about, it's graphics day, so we'll be talking about new things we saw at NAB about graphics. Wednesday is new things we saw, or interesting things about uh, uh, video um, of audio. Thursday is video, so we'll talk about new video outlet. But those are not part of, they're not coming in from the, from the show floor. Those are a standard, a regular show um, that are that is talking about something. And some of us are going to join from NAB. So we'll be talking about the things that we saw, the things that we, we'll have our own images that we want to show. I'm bringing a pretty complete rig <laughs> so, so, so to to do that um and so we will have things that we want to show in that in that space um and so a lot of us will be talking about what we saw there we'll be answering your questions we'll be talking about so that's more of a what's cool about that is it's kind of a retrospect you know on what we just so the the live part will be this live experience 
but each day we'll be talking about what we saw over the previous days related to that subject. And then, of course, on Friday, we'll talk about the coverage, what worked, what didn't work. The best time to do that is right after. <laughs> so so we're on, on Friday, we will talk about the experience, talk about what we want to change, talk about it may be a horrible disaster, and then we'll talk about all the things we don't want to do again. So um, so anyway, so we'll, we'll figure all of that stuff out. Um, so uh, as far as serendipity, um, I think that however many hours, and again, this is a volunteer limited thing, how many people are available on the floor, how many people are available uh, to run the show, how many panelists are available, we'll decide anywhere from one to probably three hours a day that we're doing, we're doing live coverage at from 10 to 11 or 10 to one, whatever that is, that will have some serendipity that's going on there. Um, and some, you know, but we'll, within limits, you know, we'll kind of be winding through certain locations and so on and so forth, but we will try to figure out those, you know, we can't just go from the, I can promise you, we can't go from the central hall to the North hall or North hall to the, like, it'll all be in, in a, you know, the next thing we cover will be somewhere pretty close to where we were. <laughs> so, so you'll have a group of things that are possible. The, if we take these other live streams out that are going to happen outside of the panel view and outside of the general infrastructure that are straight lives to YouTube, those will probably be an, that's going to be an experiment of a much more serendipitous thing where we've got a live view and a camera operator and we're just wandering around <laughs> like you know, with a wide angle lens and we're wandering around and, and looking at things and talking about things. And, and those are going to be most likely in the afternoons. Um, that that will that will do that, and that's going to be a much more loose thing. It's not going to be part of the the panel view or anything else. Um, we may play it into the after hours and let people ask questions that are there to do that, but we'll still be streaming it to YouTube. Um, this may also this is also the backup if I'm having trouble with HDR. We may go back to SDR for the show show, um, you know, for that coverage, and then there'll be these other things that we're doing that are just I don't have to go through the infrastructure. The hard part is getting the Zoom part to work with the the HDR part that's happening you know and I've got some ideas on how to do that but it's that part is the part that is the most difficult that I'm trying to figure out um next question Dave Troutman in Edmonton Alberta is back with this question would the shorts be used in the live coverage to allow for walking between booths or are they going to appear separately to attract attention to the live coverage separately because they won't look good they'll be vertical <laughs> so uh you know they'll be vertical they won't they we, we won't put them in so the shorts th my goal is that we produce between 50 and 100 shorts like that's the kind of i mean to give you a kind of a sense of it um i i personally am capable of at least 30 that week I, i'm and i've done 30 in a day so i feel like i'm in there for four days straight i can probably get i can probably punch 30 of them out um and i do them very fast you know my cover on my coverage and so um, so, we'll, but my goal is that there'll be a lot of shorts, you know, that are coming out at, at a very high volume and they'll all be seen like eight times. <laughs> That's fine. We're just trying to figure out what works and doesn't work. Um, again, some of them will get some post-production treatment. Some of them will not. We'll, we'll decide what, how hard was that? What does it look like? I mean, one of the things we have to figure out is the, you know, kind of templates, you know, for, you know, how this is all going to work as far as how these get put down and, and, um, and set up there. So we're going to be discussing that over the next month to really figure out exactly how to, how we want to do that. Generally, if I'm at a booth, my plan is that I think if I think it's worth covering, I'm going to do a short at the booth and upload it. And then I'm going to turn my camera 90 degrees and shoot a bunch of B-roll, a bunch of images and a bunch of video that the panel can use to discuss things later, but either in the morning session or in the live session later, um, just so we have the, the content. And then what I'm 
what I'm looking at is putting up folders either and, you know, we would figure out whether we're using how we're how we're storing that stuff, but you know, at, at minimum Frame.io, if not Lucidlink, um, where I'm uploading a bunch of stuff and I'll put it in a folder like here's the short, here's the here's the B-roll, you know, and then we'll have some folders and then someone can go in and gr start grabbing those relatively live um, to uh, to do post on them. Um, but the shorts will go out, again, the shorts will have a certain time frame that need to go out. I think that most likely on Sunday, almost everything I shoot will go straight to YouTube. Like it'll, like I will, I will cut it and put it up so that there's stuff coming out. Um, but by Sunday afternoon, I'll probably slow down a little bit and start putting stuff, sending stuff up for post so that it looks nicer. Um, and uh, we'll go from there. Yeah, go ahead, Jeffrey. Yeah, I totally agree on that. But what's more interesting is, and this is something that I don't normally do, is, uh, <clears throat> excuse me, we'll have, we'll have uh, teams there. So where a lot of my shorts are, I just pull out my phone and do that. We'll be able to have somebody else hold the camera while we, uh, we do something. So that might make the shorts a little bit more interesting. Uh, but yeah, definitely want to uh, get them up as quick as possible. And they just don't hit the format of the show in a vertical format. So it's best if they're left out. Yeah. And, and the, um, again, I think we'll, we'll do some stuff with teams. Uh, I, you know, I'm really happy with just showing my point of view of like, and I'm, I'm pretty, people will decide they can, one of the things we'll talk about that Friday is what kind of content that we like. You'll find that mine is very ADD active camera. You know, I'll point at something and then I'll go over here and then I'll go over here and show you something and talk about it and put my finger out and point at something and do something like I just boom, 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 boom. And then I upload it. <laughs> so, so it's, so, um, because I, I want to, you know, that's how I look at things. Um, and again, it may or may not, again, those are things that we may look at those shorts as well. And people want to cover that you know, in more detail over time. The thing that I'm also remembering is we probably won't spend a lot of time doing long interviews at booths because if we like the product that we see, we're going to invite them to a second hour. <laughs> like, you know, like I have, a, I can get them for a whole hour rather than trying to scarf off all the information, you know? So a lot of this is going to be this scattershot of grabbing lots and lots of stuff, having us see those things and have us think about what we want in second hours. And we have an advantage over most people covering an event is that we have a show that happens every day and we can always put them into a second hour. So that's the thing that we're going to be looking at um, for most of those things. If we think it's worth interviewing a lot for more than a couple minutes, um, we're probably going to just try to get them to come on. Um, uh, next question. Our next question comes from Douglas Carmichael. How are we going to get the live view feeds back into the Office Hours 2 system? Yeah, assuming that the live view all comes through, which we should know next week, uh, this there's a server that goes on into into our our setup um, in uh, in San Rafael, and that's going to output um, either you know it's going to output either a 1080p or 4K HDR stream um, out of it, and then it's going to we have to pass that back in so that the panelists can see it. The tricky part right now is figuring out how we're going to cut it so that it, you get the full quality out of it and not go back through a system that is basically SDR. And so I'm still thinking about that. And until I see it, it's going to be a little hard. You know, I think that the reason that I'm thinking about putting another mixer or another switcher down downstream is so that we cut the whole show without that content. And then we have another switcher that's sitting in, in, ten, in Rec 2020. And, you know, so it's the tricky part is the constellation, which we're trying to get to the bottom of. The constellation has a tendency to want to change states. Um, based on what's coming in. So if you give it any 709, it goes, oh, I want 709. Um, so what I'm looking at is having a second constellation there that is, we know that everything going to it is Rec 2020 and it's going into there and it's corrected for that. And so then as it gets that that footage and we've corrected 
the panel and we push them in. So then we're not, we're the only thing we're giving up there is we don't have a lot of picture and pictures to, you know, to, you know, of cutting that audio, that video in. Um, if we can figure it out, we'll do it another way. But I think that um, right now without a hard switch inside of that, you know, there, and there's ways for us to test it. I mean, we're going to test some, some of the stuff. We could correct every panelist to HDR. We have that now. We have the capability of just turning them all into HDR as they go into the system. But I'm not sure if the system will see it correctly. So we're going to be doing some more tests over the next month to f figure that out, whether we can deliver that. I'm trying to get all the pieces in one place in the next couple of weeks to get to the bottom of that. Next question. Our next question is from Roscoe Jones in Madison, Indiana. If someone, Blackmagic Design or Apple, does a press event right before NEB, how might we best include that? Maybe an expert panel discussing the implications? Go ahead, Jeffrey. Well, if we have enough team members, uh, then uh, usually a team member will want to go to the uh, press event. It's tough. To, when when doing any type of video inside of a press event is really tough, unless they do something kind of viral, like uh, bring, I don't know, bring Star Wars uh, uh, robots onto the uh, onto the thing or, or anything like that. Um, so it it's best to have like small recaps after that. Say, so, yeah, this, this press event happened. They talked about this. They talked about this. Uh, and I find that that's the best way to do it is just to collect the information afterwards and then talk about it and then just give some quick opinion. And that's probably where the panel is really going to shine is through those press events. You're good, Bill. Yeah, that's one of the things, you know, I spend a lot of time as press and, um, to do a good job of that, you're going to come into the event and you're going to be there for a half an hour or an hour or whatever it is. You normally would be taking notes. You'd be distilling it down into the top 10 points that they made there, the introductions that they did. And then you'd be consolidating that into a live hit where you explained those five or seven things and then you're done. But it requires that whole hour because they usually... Uh, reveal those things over time. So it's not very efficient in a live broadcasting circumstance to cover a big announcement like that. It's much better to understand what what the bullet points are of the announcement a little bit afterwards and craft your content from that. That's been my experience. I've sat in a lot of these things and I'm going, okay, I got three things out of that that are that's really useful. And it took me 90 minutes to go there, listen to it all, and then put the piece together. Yeah, I'm, I will say that we may get pretty aggressive about this just to see what happens, you know. So if we see press events or we see things that are there or parties or anything else that we want to go to, if we if we do finalize all these live, the, the live view opportunities, I, I got a way to do it. <laughs> so we're just going to go and and um, and uh, um, go there, cover it. If there's if, if we're not broadcasting otherwise, again, we may start pushing a lot of stuff to YouTube that's not going, trying to go through the OH system just so I don't have to put more pressure on the, uh, the existing pressure on the OH, on the backend team. So there may be some stuff that we do that, that way we, we just push it up. Um, we have a viewing, you know, we push it into Makana. People can still ask questions and we can discuss it and there can be a lot of other things that we're doing there. Um, but then we may, and then the cool thing is, is that it, it could also go into after hours so that people can sit there and do kind of that second year experience that we've been playing with. So we can all talk about it and talk about things that we're seeing there. So we're going to experiment with a lot of different formats of how we cover things. And, you know, because it could be just after hours has, I mean, when we're not broadcasting these shows, you know, we may have people just wandering around with live views, uh, going to things and setting up a little bit to just show you those things. And people can just be the peanut gallery talking about it and looking at it. There's no reason not to, you know, we want to see how far we can push this coverage and how far we can push the interactivity um, on it. We only get to do it when it's there. So, so we're, you know, and I'm, 
you know, pretty much uh, flattening my system so that I can, you know, be covering this. Uh, so it'll be a, a big push. Uh, next question. Douglas Carmichael is back and he asked this question for the post segments. What editing pipeline will we be using? We're going to look at who's doing what. So that's the that's why we're cutting off uh, after today. We're going to cut off any more adding more people and then we're going to see what we can look at there. Uh, we want to talk to folks about what they've done in the past. The easiest one for us to do would probably be Final Cut because we can, um, I, what I want to do is build some templates in in motion so that when you want to add lower thirds and other things, it's already standardized. You just add the, add the plugin and type in the things that you want. And it's already automatically formatted to what it needs to be. That's probably the easiest way to do it. Um, but, uh, but we'll see what everybody has and what they want to use. Um, I don't have a problem with using multiple systems. In some ways, it gives us feedback on what was good. I can say that in the past, I've used almost every system to cover this stuff. And the one that you really want to use for news gathering and delivery is Final Cut because it's about 10 times faster than by the time you get set up to do an edit in Premiere or Resolve, you're done. <laughs> Final Cut for this kind of editing, this kind of like, boom, I got to get it in, I got to get it out, I can have templates built, I can do all those things. So, um, but we'll, we'll see what we, what we end up doing there. Uh, next question. Our next question comes from John Snyder in Reno, Reno, Nevada. What does a day of volunteering look like for someone helping remotely or in person? Uh, we're still defining that. So the next thing we're going to do is really we have in the database, we have a, um, you know, we're asking people when they're available. Uh, there's going to be a lot of like, we're going to start building timelines based on those availabilities. We're going to start reaching out to people specifically. Um, the biggest thing to do, you know, you can sign up right now and I would come to the Monday meeting. Um, we'll, we'll make sure that you're all invited if you've signed up for that. Uh, is whatever you say you're going to do next week that you do it. You don't have to say too much, but we need you to show up. Uh, so so the, the hardest part with volunteering, uh, uh, what I will say is that after, it's fine to sign up. Anybody can sign up. But once you've defined what you're going to do uh, for the show, uh, if you don't do it, then the chances of being on another team will be very low. <laughs> so because we just needed to know who we can depend on um, to do that. So, uh, but we're going to start, you know, we're really figuring all of those pieces out. I think that, um, what we want to do for the remote folks is for them to be taking a lot of this content and and compiling it and building out these videos that we can put out. Again, some of them being shorts, some of them being 16 by 9 compilations. We're going to put out a lot of those things, gathering and organizing some of the B-roll um, that we're taking out in stills and trying to figure out the note structure of how we're going to cover those things, uh, doing research on what booths that we think are interesting. So those are some of the things that we're looking at. Go ahead, Jeffrey. Yeah, and if you're in person, we're going to give you a nice little set of handcuffs, and we're going to cuff you. To, no, I'm kidding. <laughs> uh, so, what? Uh, once again, it's you never know what's going to happen. I mean, there was one time we had a show where uh, two guys had to leave because uh, an emergency happened back mm -hmm. home, and then we lost we lost half mm -hmm. our crew. And then you had to, you just have to yep. be able to shift a little bit. Once again, be able to catch the camera. But still know that this is this is what your main role is when it yeah. comes to being there in person. Yeah, real quick, Bill, I'm gonna try to move. Yeah, my experience quick. has always been: oh, I get up reasonably early, uh, try to get on my transportation mode too there because getting into yeah. NAB was often for me the monorail or, or a meeting a group mm -hmm. of people to get a van in. Uh, you work really hard up until you take a break for, to eat something. You mm -hmm. catch as catch can often it's show floor food because it's really hard to go anyplace else. Then at somewhere around 4 or 4.30 I would mm -hmm. break because the other big part of NAB has always happened at night. There are all these right. presentations, all these announcements, all these special things. Mm -hmm. And so I would go from there, uh, cover things like the super meet and things like 
like that. And about 11 o'clock or 12 o'clock, I would yep. crawl back to the hotel room and do it all over again the next day. It's a pretty intense schedule. Mm-hmm. Next question. Our next question is from Jesse Mills in San Francisco, California. Why would someone want to hear all the surrounding noise at a busy conference and possibly miss the primary message due to the elevated noise and chatter inclusion of an immersive microphone? Well, we're going to find out. <laughs> so it's like we're going to do it and see, see what happens. Uh, you know, it, it may not be there. Again, what we found in, in doing a lot of these things, and we may turn it off. Again, we're going to experiment with that process. Um, but I think that there is going to be something about you feeling more like you're there. We're really trying to create this feeling of you being there. And I think that I think that we can mix and match this with a high, you know, an SM58 with a wireless that's that's really up in front of somebody. You're going to get a nice, clear, centered channel um, delivery. And But I think that there's something about feeling like you're there and it's not just deadened and you don't hear anything. Um, and we're going to play with it because no one's ever done it before. Next question. This is from Dave Troutman in Edmonton, Alberta. And he asks, I'm keenly interested in hearing the 5.1 surround. What would you recommend for listening? Yeah, the um, uh, you, you have to listen in an OTT box. Apple TV, um, I think the, the Android uh, solutions, the um, those, those things, the, the, only, the YouTube stuff all has to be, the only way you'll hear 5.1 is in those and everything else will get folded down to stereo. Next question. Douglas Carmichael is asking, Alex, what would make Final Cut faster than Resolve's own cut page? No channel, no tracks. <laughs> like it's just uh, the the dynamic tracking uh, is is so much faster than everything else available. I'll just keep moving because we're running out of time. Next question. Also from Dave Troutman in, Alber- in Edmonton, Alberta, would the surround be at a fixed location in the hall, or will it travel with a crew? We're going to try to have it travel with the crew. That's going to be the game. Um, and you know, again, no one's ever done it before. At, I like to do things that no one's ever done before. <laughs> so well, it may turn out to be a failure, but and but we may learn some stuff that's pretty interesting. Um, next question. We're back with Douglas Carmichael. Would a hyperdeck be use, as useful as a B-deck for extra content to bring into the show as needed? Um, the easiest thing to do is use software-based. So whether we're using uh, QLab or MIDI or Softron or something like that, it's much easier to use software-based than Hyperdex because we don't have to conform all the video and audio. We can just simply throw it in a second before we needed it and push it out and jump to playlists and so on and so forth. Last question. Also, Douglas Carmichael, how will we be handling RFIs during the event, multiple shifts of documenters and periodic RFI review? Uh, we're probably not going to review a lot of RF. I mean, we'll be talking about it um, informally, but I think that the RFI, the big RFI, will be Friday, and then and then talking about it over the night. We'll have probably a couple weeks of talking about <laughs> what worked and didn't work uh, in those areas. So, but th- those will be important for those listening. Uh, RFIs are room for improvement, so we'll be looking at what we liked and didn't like uh, in that in that specific coverage. So um, anyway, it's great. It's a good good hour. Um, I think we've covered a lot. Again, um, I'm going to put out an announcement uh, on Discord, but it goes out on the email every day. Uh, this is the last day that there is to sign up for it. We'll make sure that everybody gets invited to the meeting on Monday if you sign up. And um, But we're going to start really nailing down exactly what's going to happen over those those time periods starting next week um, and exactly what those processes are. So, um, so stay tuned for that. Uh, and we're pretty excited about it. And again, it won't be perfect. Uh, we'll fail a lot, and that's fine. <laughs> you know, like what well, we can refund the sponsors, which aren't any. So, uh, so, um, so we're we're learning how to cover these things. Um, we are, uh, you know, figuring it out. We're going to take a lot of chances. Um, I don't get to do that very much in my day to day life. Is take chances. So we're going to take a lot of chances, and and um, some of it will work. And we're just going to throw a lot against the wall and see what sticks. 
All right. Well, thanks so much to the uh, for the producers for all the great questions. Um, you know, it's just it's and and a reminder that asking those questions before five thirty a.m. Pacific Standard Time gives us a lot more time to think about your questions. Um, it's it definitely improves the quality of the questions that are asked early. You can ask them all the way through the show. Um, but really asking if you have a complicated one or one that we don't answer very often or the type of question we don't answer very often, you know, a- asking them early really makes a difference. And we really appreciate everyone that's been picking up the speed on that uh, over the time, over the producers. Um, and thanks to the panelists. Uh, we can't do this without you. And a reminder that pa- panelists, uh, uh, if you want to come in early, about 6, 6.30, we're starting to, between 6 and 6.15, uh, we're starting to kind of go through those questions until 6.30. Um, you don't have to be on the panel to be part of the the the, uh, the 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 camaraderie of figuring out these answers. <laughs> so so anyway, you're more than welcome to if you're a panelist already. Uh, not everyone can jump in, but if you're a pan- if you've been a panelist on the show, you can jump in early and then drop out at six thirty if you if you choose to. Um, and then thanks, of course, to the incredible back end crew that you know that both is working on the scheduling, the meetings, the design, the after hours, the figuring all these bits and pieces out, developing, running the live show, figuring out what worked in the live show. All there's this huge group of people that are making this show work and we really just appreciate all of your work um you know and and what you do here all right let's go ahead and jump into after hours i had more to say but i i lost my page i had moved it around and then i looked down i still can't find my page what happened i didn't tell people bananas Ninety-one thousand miles 147,000 kilometers 830 million bananas for scale. So many. 3.7 times around the world. That's pretty good. We almost made 1K. 